serves. This is Sir Gene with your morning update in the afternoon. Good morning. This is Sir Gene with dude named Ben named Ben. How are you, Ben? I'm doing good, Gene. I'm doing good. Just got back from Tulsa, so given ah. this week's events, it was an interesting trip. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What are you doing out there? Uh, work or pleasure? Oh, work. I, I was meeting with a client. Tulsa. Yeah, I, actually, you know, that was my first time going to Tulsa. And I've been to Oklahoma City plenty, but this was my first time in Tulsa. And, and Tulsa's a neat little town. Okay. And what's neat about it? One, it's a green city in Oklahoma, so that's different than what I'm used to. And then two, it's just, uh, it's a neat little downtown. It's kind of a mixture of, you know, the 50s and the 70s and then fairly modern modern architecture. So there's just, you know, a, a different mix and it's not, you know, it's not like Dallas downtown and it's not like Austin. And, you know, there were a couple homeless people around, but it wasn't anything like what a similar sized city in Texas I would expect to have seen. They still have nuclear families out there? Seemingly so, yes. And Oklahoma with the recent law changes that they've made and everything else, it's it's pretty interesting the the ways they're going. They've liberalized their alcohol laws and then they've banned abortions pretty much fully, except for in very rare cases. Interesting. I did not know anything uh, about their Alcohol laws, what happened? So it used to be that cold beer couldn't be above 3% uh, alcohol by volume. And, I mean, they had a lot of lot of blue laws, and they've changed a lot mm. of that recently. So now they actually have... On Sundays? Know, exactly. They, and they... I don't know if they sell liquor on Sundays, but the, the microbrewing community up there has just popped uh, a lot, and... You know, it, it's been a pretty big shift, apparently. Hmm. Yeah, a lot of states still have these relics of the past. Mm-hmm. Never made any sense to me whatsoever, but having no car sales happening on Sunday, what the hell's up with that? Well, the the blue laws still exist in Texas, too, you know, and what what always struck me about Texas blue laws is that it can be down to the precinct. So not even the County, but the precinct mm-hmm. and the County can have separate laws. And that just, that doesn't make any sense. No, but I mean, liquor is one thing, right? I mean, I, I can see, I don't agree with it, but I can see where it came from, which is you should be going to church, not getting drunk, but car sales. What the hell? Was that a thing back in the day where you couldn't go buy a horse on Sunday? Well, it Sunday's a day of rest. Well, Saturday's actually a day of rest, but sure. Uh, okay, so we found out that Gene has a Seventh-day Adventist background. No, that's called Jewish. I, I understand, but it's also... Anyway, never mind. Mm-hmm. Yeah, all you newfangled religions that are less than 3,000 years old, I don't even know what you're talking about. <laughs> Indeed. Boy, that uh, bacon sure was good. Anyway. Uh, <laughs> yeah, keeping the, just, uh, kosher. Exactly. Yeah, kosher bacon. I'm sure that you can probably find something that says that on the package, but uh, 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 I don't know, man. I don't think there is such a critter. It just the, the dietary laws, you know, outside of historical reasons, never made any sense to me as far as why a modern person would keep it. You know, especially right. a Christian. Why would a Christian keep dietary laws? So, mm-hmm. yeah. 
Well, like a lot of other commandments, you know, the dietary laws were a way to put a story around observation-based science. Right. Yeah, we have a lot of people dying eating bacon, uh, or well, pork, really, not bacon. Mm-hmm. Maybe we should not eat that anymore. God said, don't eat pork. Well, and the shellfish and everything else, you know, right. red tides. And yeah, it, 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 like I said, it makes sense for the time, and I get the reasons for it, mm-hmm. and I get the religious reasons for it. But again, a Christian living in modern times, you know, it, it, your view should be that Christ came to fulfill the law and that the new covenant and the new commandments are in the New Testament and there is no dietary restrictions in the New Testament. So, you know, anyway. Yeah. Well, I'm pretty sure Christians eat bacon. I certainly do. (laughs) Speaking of gluttonous excess, did you see the (laughs) gas prices in Oakland? I did not. No. What are they at? $9 and change. Well, remember, I predict 18. So we still have ways to go. Man, it's going to get bad here quick. It, mm-hmm. it really is with this stuff keeping on. I think it, if anyone needs to upgrade their phone or computer, you better do it right now before that pipeline shuts down. Yeah, that the, the supply of tech is definitely going to be interrupted. Mm-hmm. But I'm more worried about the supply of food when you're looking at gas and diesel prices the way they are. Yeah, man, you know when my dad when I was younger, my dad was a shrimper and the price of diesel, how much that affected them mm-hmm. in any big operation. It's just, you know, that hits hard and farmers are no, no, no different, you know? Well, speaking of diesel now, I was listening to Biden's speech the other day and then which one y- you kind of assume that he just forgets things and mispronounces things in general, mm-hmm. but did it? It sounded to me like what he was saying is by getting Europe to shift off Russian oil, that will drop the price of oil and America can start buying Russian oil again. I didn't hear that part. and Maybe I missed something. but That seemed very strange to me. It's like, oh, whoa, you're actually admitting that we're going to throw Europe under the bus yeah. in order for us to buy Russian oil. Uh, oil because we don't make any more here in the U.S. Well, you know, he, he's the one and pushing. And I, I saw that and, link you sent me about the uh, no more refineries being built in the U.S. That's yeah, uh, I mean, that's true. the CEO of Chevron saying that. Yeah. I mean, that that's a hell of a statement. The CEO of Chevron saying he doesn't see a path for a refinery to be built in the yep. U.S. going forward. Holy shit. You know who's building a lot of refineries right now? China, India, India. Russia. India is. Yeah, because they're they're they, <laughs> Europe has gone on record saying they will buy Indian oil, mm-hmm. and we know where India is getting their oil. They well, sure as hell aren't drilling it. Well, yeah, and Modi's some of the statements in the past there have been pretty interesting. No, man, this is all flexing out geopolitically in a way that is somewhat unexpected. Germany talking about their military expansion. I don't know. Last time Germany talked about military expansion, it didn't go very well for the rest mm-hmm. of the world. Mm-hmm. Just saying. Oh, yeah. And Japan's threatening China now. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's because China has been such a belligerent to Japan. China oh, has been belligerent to a lot of places. <laughs> well, Taiwan. There were 20 Chinese military aircraft that breached Taiwanese airspace. Yeah. I don't know um, if there's such a thing, though. Well, Chinese military aircraft or Taiwanese airspace? 
Yeah, I mean, it's a republic of China, so, you know, it's all one country. It No, no. And I, I hate the one China policy. And it's something that should have never been agreed to. And quite frankly, what should happen is the Brits should go and look at the treaty and say, hey, it you doesn't know, this... matter, dude. it's all done. China will get whatever they want. There's uh... there's <laughs> the collective West can't do anything about Ukraine. They sure as hell aren't going to do anything about Taiwan. I actually, I think Taiwan is far more strategic importance than Ukraine. You're going to have your children die to save Taiwan, potentially, because that's what the choice is. Uh, but I, I don't think it's. I nukes. don't know any American willing to do that. I, I don't know. We like our technology quite a bit, and if China, no, holds that, but that's the keys, my point. Is the technology will get cut. You will lose not just all technology. You will lose all shipments from China, which means no food, no yep. products. Well, I. China actually imports quite a bit of food from us. So no, from Russia. Smart. No, 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 no. U.S. Exports Russia is no longer exporting to food to Europe, and China's getting all of it. Hmm. So China, India, Russia, South Africa, and Brazil. BRICS. Yep. BRICS is self-sufficient right now, and they're now going off of the dollar, which is why we're getting hyperinflation and getting tanked. So honestly. You know, Russia may have a good military on the ground. China has the U.S. and pretty much every other country by the balls right now. Because of manufacturing. Yes. But not because of military. Because, what do you think that there's something... Well, that, no, you're absolutely right. It's not because of their military, but it is because it's their manufacturing. So, is the U.S. prepared to invade China? Because that certainly will happen. Again, China has nukes. I think that China is not self-sufficient. The BRICS nations, China specifically, requires Western trade, and they have a hell of a merchant marine, but quite frankly, they don't have a navy to protect it. They require Western trade just like Russia requires European purchases of its natural gas and food. Just to say, when that goes away, it shifts. No, because there there hasn't been the sanctions on China that have been on Russia. Russia, I mean, quite frankly, had we imposed what what has been imposed right now uh, a decade ago, it would have absolutely been crippling to the Russian economy. But I think that they've fortified and made other arrangements and moved well. I don't think mm-hmm. that China has made that same sort of move, but I could be wrong. America has been underestimating China for 50 years, in my humble opinion. Completely agree. I, I think Nixon should have never gone to China and opened that can of worms up. Uh, yeah. I mean, it's, well, I don't know if that alone would have prevented this from happening, but certainly the U.S. policy towards China of basically treating them like a, a, a dumb little uh, chihuahua and giving them, helping them, in a sense, by outsourcing things from here to there has created an economic powerhouse. There have been multiple, well, actually a couple of people with economics degrees and and then a bunch of people in general that have talked about the real economy versus the the economy that's published by the official government bodies. And if you look at the real economy, which is to say including the, looking predominantly at the trade happening between different countries' borders, whether it's... uh, legal or illegal. China's economy right now is about two and a half times bigger than the U.S. Well, now, U.S. Uh, makes up a large chunk of Chinese economy, yeah. for sure. So 
But the U.S. totally underestimates China. So we, the U.S. did this with Japan in the 80s, right? Everything was made in mm-hmm. Japan for a long period of time. Then by the early 90s, Clinton years and everything else, we start shifting towards China, China, China. Mm-hmm. Well, the manufacturing base and the wealth transfer that is given there is just tremendous, you know. Mm-hmm. And Japan is a decent ally. And part of the reason why we did that wealth transfer from the 50s till pretty much the 90s or late 80s for Japan was rebuilding of Japan was building up that ally. I know mm-hmm. you don't necessarily agree that they're a good ally, but I, I think that they are out of all the Asian countries. I, I think they're the closest natural ally to us because they are very, very different than the Vietnamese and the Chinese and even the Koreans in their attitudes. So, yeah, they've historically been very, Inward focus. Well, regardless, China, I think, does require the U.S. and the rest of the West. And I think they don't have the Navy to protect their shipping. And while the Belt and Road Initiative is they in have play nukes. and be Everybody forgets about nukes. Why does everybody forget about nukes? Nukes will be used within our lifetime, I guarantee you. Mm. And probably sooner than most people think. I hope you're wrong. I hope I'm wrong too, dude. I really do, but I've been calling a lot of things right. Yeah. Well, I mean... You can't stop... uh, You can't blockade China's shipping and not expect a response. But what do you think that response would be? Well, the first response will be the disappearance of Hawaii. Yeah, I don't don't think so. Because it's far enough away from the U.S. that the, the thought there will be, this is a warning, guys. Yeah, why wouldn't you take out Guam? If you keep pushing, the rest uh, of you will go away. Why not Guam? It's a U.S. protectorate. It's closer. Not. As I don't think that sends a strong enough message. So, I, but I Hawaii guess, is remote enough that the nuclear fallout isn't going to affect the mainland. Yeah, my my thought there though is you're cutting your nose off to spite your face. So I I go no, back to what no, the Carol U.S. is cutting its nose off. It's already done that with Russia. It's going to do it with China if it tries to blockade Chinese shipping. Yeah, Carol Quigley and Tragedy and Hope really outlined how... Is this a book for the day? No, I mean, this oh. is a book I've mentioned before. I've got a different okay. book for the day. But Tragedy and Hope really outlined how proxy wars would be the thing, that there would not be a World War III because of yeah. this globalization and economic ind- and codependence. We're saying... That a, is the globalist agenda, for sure. Yes. That is and, what I've been saying for years. Yes, and outlined in Tragedy and Hope in great detail. I mean, it's a 1,200-page book. Mm. That said, we're seeing the dissolution of that. And we're seeing, when I say the dissolution of that, I mean the globalization. So when you have people at the World Economic Forum and so on talking about moving away from globalization and back towards national economies, that is, so first of all, I'm like, okay, this is scary. They're doing something I want them to do. Why? I think we are moving into a paradigm where war becomes, especially between the great powers, more and more likely. That said, I don't think anyone wants to have nukes going off left, right, and center. Why else are they shipping missiles to Ukraine that can hit Russia? Well, because Biden and... No, because 
social justice warrior idiots have been told is this is the current thing. Go yeah. for the current thing. But told by whom? Yeah. No, well, media. The people and that are running the country. Hmm. I mean, I, like it or not, stolen election or not, the people running the country, and I don't mean Biden, I mean the actual people running the country, they think that they're going to win a hot war. And I, I think there is a good chance that we would. And that's nobody what I'm wins a hot war. <laughs> I man, I the planet I, wins a hot war, I guess, I, if you're I, a super okay. greenie. So here's what I'd say. As the only country that has ever actually used nukes in mm-hmm. uh, belligerent fashion. Yep. Man. Rightly I, so, but yes. I, I actually disagree. I oh, totally. Okay. okay. I, I, I don't think we should have bombed Japan the way we did. Mm. I, I think we didn't even need to invade Japan. At the point where the Marshall Islands and everything else were taken, man, you you had it. You there You the sinking of the Yamato, the the battles in the Pacific, you could have had Japan totally contained and left them to their own devices. There's no need I don't know, man. to take Anna it to was that domination. About his uncle that served in the in that war in mm-hmm. the Pacific, talking about how the, the nuke was the thing that saved tons of American lives. Yeah, and that's that's what was argued uh a lot was mm-hmm. we're we're going to just but i mean yeah if you wanted to go and invade japan traditionally absolutely it would have cost mm-hmm. a lot of lives but i'm arguing that you never had to do that you didn't have to go to that point so just a blockade and let them starve not necessarily let them starve leave don't liberate china <laughs> we might not have some of the issues we have today you know leave japan well, just but, contained yeah i mean Manchuria was already what you would have if you didn't liberate China is a much larger Russia on the eastern side. Yeah, Manchuria would go back to Russia. Parts of it, yes, but I think Japan would have held on to parts of it. My my entire point in this, though, is going to lose the war on the east and then keep winning it on the west. I'm sorry. Why would Japan lose the war on the east with U.S. but keep, Uh keep winning it on the west? I'm not saying China they could Russia. have. I, I'm not saying they could have won it. I'm saying that I think they could have held on to parts of China, and mainland for, China. At that. Okay, but for how long? If the hostilities between the U.S. and Japan had more or less ceased, I think they could have held parts of it to this day. No, I think you're insane, dude. How? They would have been pushed off the mainland. Guarante- there's no. There is no possibility of Japan on the mainland. Why is that? Because a billion people that live there see them as invaders who perpetrated worse atrocities than Hitler. 100%. I, and That's why. Okay, so just China back. and Russia can both keep throwing people at them until they win. Yeah, uh, the, here's the problem, though. So one of one of my family friends, his, his family fled the Japanese invasion, took a bunch of gold with them, and got out of China. Mm. So the aristocrats in China, for lack of a better word. Anyone who was anyone who could get out did. Right. You had a bunch of peasants mm-hmm. and you didn't have a manufacturing base in China. Yep. And you didn't have a bunch of arms in China. Yep. The Japanese had a 
dominating military advantage. In fact, the only reason China was able oh, to totally. hold back the Japanese as long as they did is because we were arming the, we were doing the same thing with China that we were doing with Great Britain. We were arming them. Mm-hmm. We were putting pilots over there. I mean, there's a freaking John Wayne movie, the flying tigers that it outlines exactly what was going on. The foreign legion in China was what was keeping Japan at bay at all. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, Japan would have rolled right over them. Oh. So you yeah. could make the argument that after hostilities cease and yeah. Here's USSR you arms Mao and Mao tries to overthrow, I can see that. But I China think China would have, China just had the people available. Russia had the military base. Because remember, by this point in, in the war, mm-hmm. Germany already fell. Russia had won World War II. And so that entire the manufacturing Allies base. The Allies had won World War II, yes. Well, no, Russia won World War II. The Allies came in right afterwards. Uh-huh. Yeah, so. Uh... Anyway, the, the <laughs> military-based production facilities that were manufacturing several tanks every hour were no longer needed. So they could stop production or they can shift those tanks on the Trans-Siberian Railroad yeah, but here's the, the other side of the here's the piece you're missing, Gene. The two manufacturing bases that were the least damaged up until the point of the U.S. dropping the bomb was the U.S. and Japan. Well, Europe, the U.S. was not damaged at all because there was no point. mainland invasion. And there was no mainland yeah. invasion of Japan either. Yeah. Until we started that last bombing campaign... The they, their manufacturing has, base was not hit, and yeah, they had but all their the supply resources. Lines were, and Japan does not have the natural resources. But that's why I'm saying if they were on mainland China, they would have the resources to defend. Anyway, it, it's yeah, yeah. it's academic. It's what could have happened. I don't know, man. It's, I've played uh, a game of Risk, and I'm pretty sure Russia kicked Japan's <laughs> ass. <laughs> well, you know, roll the dice and all. So the R and D generator, R and G generator, uh, predicted it. Yeah. Anyway, way, so my my point is simply that yes, Japan can. I mean, they are an ally of the U.S. for now, but there's. I don't think Japan's going to be holding back China. <laughs> but uh, again, I don't think China wants to be involved in the military war if they can utilize their finance and trade to affect things positively for their benefit. Yeah, actually, I think that the odds are that Japan is not going to hold back China in any way, shape, or form. I'm not delusional in that. But I think that the U.S. presence there and our Navy has a hell of a capability that is, quite frankly, unmatched even by the rest of the world combined almost. Oh, yeah. U.S. has the the biggest Navy in the world by far. the, The naval power that the U.S. has is so out out of anything that pretty much every major country could ever put together, even in mm-hmm. an alliance against us. We have a very strong capacity to influence how global trade works. And if China is willing to nuke Hawaii, quite frankly, man, I don't know. I think if China nuked Hawaii, there would not be any delay in retaliation. And I think Beijing would be gone. I think most of China would be gone. And I don't think so. Oh, I do. <clears throat> Somebody's got to do the math. Do you want to trade the rest of the U.S. for Hawaii or not? And the answer is, hell no. N- no, the, but, but the math is on the Chinese side. Do we want to take out Hawaii and let, let's say this happens in, let's say this happens after 2024 and Trump and or DeSantis are in office. 
I you you don't think that Trump wouldn't nuke just launch everything at China, wipe China off the map? Well, I mean, he could, but that's suicidal. Why taking out Hawaii is not suicidal? I disagree. I I think we could take out uh, anyway. This is the Chinese military is nothing but manpower, and that's so. It's the third largest nuclear stockpile in the world. What are you talking about? But it's very antiquated. Um, but it's the third largest in the world. Okay. And it, it, the stockpiles that we had in the 70s were enough to take out Russia, China, and the U.S., where not a single person lives. And yes, we've built more this. since then. So 100%. About a third more. The, the, well, we have way more nukes right now than is necessary to wipe all three countries off the planet. The point is, China does not have the technolo- the technological advantage here. The U.S. still does. And while that is true, while the U.S. has that advantage, I don't see China using nukes. Is China catching up to us rapidly? Yes. Look at their space program. Their space program That's, is a perfect see, example this is why of I think where... You're, you're not right about the, the U.S. having an advantage with nukes because our nukes are sitting on top of rockets designed in the 80s. China is you. Wh- where do you think those rockets they're using for their space missions come from? Oh, they're I understand. First and foremost, designed as uh, ballistic ICBMs. missiles. ICBMs. Yeah. Well, you have to understand that we have the MIRV technology that is not easily replicatable. Getting an ICBM up in the air is not the problem. It's getting the warhead to survive reentry accurately and on target. That is, and. China has been playing at this for the last decade and a half. Yeah. But the U.S. has been doing this since the 50s and 60s. I think the maturity of the technology and the reliability of the oh, technology I, I totally, is I agree with that. night and day but, difference. But right now, the Russian ones have more, more nuclear projectiles inside than the U.S. ones. Mm-hmm. And the U.S. keeps pushing Russia towards China, who they naturally... Uh, we're and hostile if, with and the if last Russia 35 and, years. And if Russia and China become great allies and Russia shares some of their ICBM technology with China and gives China a boost, then yes, in the next five years, we could yeah. be at parity. I'm not saying we have a huge advantage. I'm saying today that if it came down to it, I think uh, barring Russia and China going to war against the U.S., that is the U.S.'s worst case scenario. Barring Russia and China going to war against the U.S. as full in-bed allies, mm-hmm. either one the U.S. can handle, quite frankly, on its own. And if we have allied support, will be great. But I, I think we can handle China and Russia on an one on one right now. I don't know that that will maintain and be true in five years. Yeah, and I don't know that there's even a theoretical possibility of one-on-one anything anymore because of all the alliances everyone has. Well, so the economic dependencies really come into play here. So that's what well, tragedy that's and what hope we was thought, all about. And that's why we decided to sanction ourselves into a recession. Again, I think Russia has made a lot of moves to be independent that China has not. I think. Now, would you have said this a year or two ago, that well, Russia has made a lot of moves to be independent? Yes, absolutely. Okay, well, that's fine. I believe so, you, but most people did not say that one or two years ago. They kept seeing Russia as the country on TV in 1992, right after the collapse of the Soviet Union, where people were 
starving and they didn't have heat in the winter because there was not energy for them. And I don't think a lot of perceptions have changed in the U.S. Well, so mine actually has. Um, again, family friends who have done mission trips over to Russia and things like that and just paying attention to what Putin and others have said publicly and me being the anti-globalist I am, I'm like, holy crap, why do I like what this man is saying yeah. in some senses? And, you know, I, I've been saying for years now that Russia and the U.S. are two countries passing each other in the night because yep. I see us moving more and more towards socialism and a communistic uh, state of some yeah. fascist state of some kind. I don't know what it'll end up being, but it's not going to be a country I'm going to want to live in much longer at the rate we're going. And then I see Russia liberalizing quite a bit and changing their ways. Are they where I want them to be? But nope. not woke liberalizing you liberalizing to a rational standard, liberalizing in the classical sense. Yeah. Granting more and more freedoms. I think their their current some of the current gun laws are crap. I think some mm -hmm. of the the required dash cam for insurance stuff. And there are lots and <laughs> lots of things in Russia that uh, I could even make. But we wouldn't have all of. the cool Russian dash cam crash videos if we didn't have dash cams. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, my point is there's a lot about Russian legal system that I do not like. Totally. The U.S., you know, the, the here's the thing. The U.S. legal system, if actually followed, if the Constitution were followed, we would be in a far better position than we are. Mm -hmm. That said, we would have been far better never adopting the Constitution. We would have been far better under the Articles of Confederation and staying a loose association of free and independent countries. Mm -hmm. So when California or, you know, New York goes and wants to do something, they're not trying Stupid. to enforce yeah. it on Texas. Right. Yeah, so that's true. And it'll be interesting to see how that model, which is what Europe was supposed to be also, the EU, mm -hmm. how that plays out when some of these states like Hungary just stop going along with Europe and in their insanity and say, you know, we don't want to completely kill our economy. We're going to continue trade with Russia. Well, leaders will be assassinated is what's going to happen. Heck yeah. That'll be interesting to watch. Yeah. I think you may be right. So Hungary has, uh, and I, we talked about it a little bit earlier, but the German moves on their military, that should be a threat to the rest of the EU. And if it's not seen as a threat to the rest of the EU, then people are not paying attention. Germany is the largest economy. They are tired of this, and they are getting ready to be in a position to dictate to the rest of the EU. Well, and I've joked for a long time that, you know, the EU is really nothing more than the continuation of Hitler's uh, original dream yep, of the Third Reich. Reich. Yep, absolutely. Yep. In, in lots of ways, I completely agree with that statement you know what's interesting and what's going to be interesting is as we see the collapse of the west and i and i tied disarmament into that so the moves that justin trudeau is making on handguns mm -hmm. it's this absolute irrationality that is becoming the pervasive norm of the west that yeah. i'm seeing is the problem so you know, you want to ban handguns or whatever, depending on your rationale. Okay. It's your country. You do whatever you want. I, I would be in a very different mood and position if I lived in Canada. Oh yeah. Now that, that said the rationale being that 
a AR-15 was used in Uvalde, Texas, in a shooting as being the impetus to say we should suspend the sale and purchase of handguns in Canada, a different country, is insanity. Yeah. Well, they already suspended the purchase of AR-15s a long time ago. In 2020, but and they already have very, very. I it was like nope, 2008. Nope, 2020. They already have very strict handgun laws. So right, literally, I gotta if look you're... this up because I'm not saying you're wrong, but I could have sworn that you couldn't buy those about five, six, seven years after the U.S. ban went in effect. Well, it it may be that they were the sale was paused and then the buyback program started in 2020. But according to the last Lauren Southern video I watched, which makes me a Canadian expert, obviously. Oh, yeah. Lauren's a cool dude, man. I didn't know she was a dude. Yeah, yeah. She legally changed her <laughs> sex in Canada about five years ago. I, I'm, I'm making a joke. It's, oh, okay. The, well, she, she, well, between her, her and Blair license, White, damn. Her driver's license says dude. Ah, gotcha. Yes. Yeah. Regardless. She is a, a dude with... A womb, I guess, because she had a kid. Hmm. Yeah, yeah. I, I was making a joke, but yeah. Anyway, the irrationality that follows is, you know, just whatever. Oh, by the way, since I was in Tulsa when the shooting happened, I got to watch lots and lots of local TV coverage. Local news, yeah. I bet. Yes, and, you know, right after it was happening. I mean, you know, I was in offices and people are turning on TVs and stuff like that. First of all, this guy had uh, back surgery and was in a lot of pain, and mm. on opioids, and the doctor refused to see him, refused to see him, refused to see him, finally saw him again. He didn't get any cessation of his pain that he was in, and this was not a, I'm going to go to the hospital and just shoot a lot of random people. This was, I'm going to kill that motherfucker. That's what mm-hmm. this was. It was a targeted killing, and people got in his way, and they died too. It, he was there to do nothing but take him kill out. Yeah, oh, he killed he, two of them, though, right? But he was only going after the doctor that did his back surgery. It's very, uh, very clear in the communications to his well, wife. How bad could the surgery have been if he can still aim accurately? Well, so someone's in chronic pain. That mm-hmm. you know, whatever. Maybe he's a pussy and has a you know very low pain tolerance. I don't know. I mean, this is insanity to go to yeah, think you don't that the resolution to your back your, pain is to go you kill your them. doctor. Yes. Yeah, you don't kill him, you sue him. Exactly. But obviously the man was not mentally stable. This was not someone that was of sound mind and body that we're talking about who went and committed this crime. But the fact Mm -hmm. of the matter is literally from the first, from the first 911 call till he shot himself and ended it was four minutes. Mm -hmm. So he went in there, took him out and then popped himself off. So I don't know. He, I don't know what kind of pain he was in that he felt that this was the right answer. You know what? I would be very curious to see not what kind of pain he was in, but what kind of pain pills he was on. And that's my point. He was, mm-hmm. he was, they, they, the new local news said he was on opioid painkillers. Don't know which one, mm-hmm. don't know what, but he was on opioids. He was in pain. This is not someone who's of sound mind and, Maybe he had enough of a reaction to the painkillers that set off whatever psychoses that he had. But all I'm saying is people are just focusing on the shooting and they're not focusing on any of the other stuff at the national level. The local news Mm -hmm. was interesting. There was also another 
mass shooting event in a black town not too far from Tulsa that the local news, literally the local news coverage was residents of this town are upset because their shooting isn't getting attention. (laughs) And, And it was a domestic dispute. There were several people injured. Only one woman was killed by her ex. And but the fact that the local news coverage was they're upset that they're not getting attention. <laughs> I just, yeah, I know. That's what the so fuck sad. is wrong with you? <laughs> okay. So I, I was looking up Canadian firearms law while we were talking. Yep. So what I was referring to was the firearms act, which is adopted mm-hmm. in 1995 in Canada. Mm-hmm. And it, it mandated registration of all firearms and licensing for new purchases, national registry for all owners, yep. background checks. Well, yada, and continuous yada, yada. background checks. Yeah. yeah so exactly. Canadian law, and this is what's insane to me, why anyone would ever submit to this. Canada, you fucked up. You went the way of Australia. You should have already used your guns, quite frankly, mm-hmm. because the continuous background check system. So the way you, I get a license for a handgun because I haven't committed any crimes, I go get in a barroom brawl and I get arrested Yep. Because I'm in a barroom brawl. Don't even get charged. Don't even get convicted. I now have my, the Canadian system would remove my weapons from me. Yep. It's insanity. So and in, in 2012, they eliminated this registration of firearms and erased data from the registry. In 2015, they relaxed controls and restrictions on the prohibited weapons. So you could buy the AR-15 again. In 2018, they reinstated the requirements to keep records. And in 2020, they banned more than 1,500 models by name. Yep, including the AR-15. So they had basically about eight-year period of relaxation, followed by even harsher restrictions, and now a complete uh, ban on the uh, handguns. Well, you know, and this is a case of your boy Tim uh, Timothy Poole's One of his favorite things. Yeah, I'm going to start doing that to you. (laughs) Fucker. Uh, Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, he talks about the uh, rat experiment, you know, where they throw them in a bucket and let them drown. Takes about 15 minutes. But if they stop short and pull them out, dry them off, let them rest, catch their breath, throw them back in, that they'll swim for 60 hours. I think we're seeing a lot of that exact psychological Mm -hmm. manipulation happening on the gun front, on the monkeypox front, on all of it. It's insanity. Yeah, yeah. It's the trick to drowning rats is you have to hold them underwater. You can't just let them swim. Uh, you're you're missing the point. By the way, call out to uh, call out to unrelenting. I totally sent you a link in the chat. By the way, to the original leisure leisure suit Larry that you can install and run on your computer right now. Oh my now. god! Jesus so Christ. I am in. Full support of Darren's idea. <laughs> Me playing Asians with Larry while we're doing the show. Yes. I mean, oh. if you're going to play MAG, it's such a perfect game for you. When I was like way, way younger, yeah, and didn't care about graphic quality. I mean, dude, the storyline, though, it, it could be your life in so many ways. Mm-hmm. Yes. And besides, That's instead of the right leisure there. suit, it's just the track suit, right? The if track it was track suit Larry, <laughs> you'd be all over it. Oh my gosh, yes. Oh, and by the way, speaking of uh, call-outs, we have to thank... Where's my email? We got some money in. Oh. Yeah, here it is. We got $26.25 from a Joshua McLean. Yeah. Yeah, your friend and mine. Yeah, yeah, So, thanks, Josh. I have no idea what that number signifies, if anything, or if that was just 
the balance of your checking account. Or we know PayPal you've had some expenses whatever. recently. Yes, indeed. Oh, totally not necessary, dude, but much appreciated. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, we got to get Josh on the show, man. Yeah. He, he, so Josh is an old buddy of mine and he's a, actually a history major. So yeah. he, he's literally uh, going through right now and working on yet another degree and really focused on history of the West, military history, things like that. Pretty sharp dude. <clears throat> yeah, I've enjoyed conversations with him. So I think it'd be fun to have him on the show as well. And in fact, I'm pretty sure he's he's kind of planning on doing that because he's been asking and looking at different audio gear. Well, actually, his from what I understand, his desire on audio gear is because he wants to start his own podcast going through historical topics. Well, yeah, and that's, which is awesome. But he gets some practice in with us. Sure. You know, an amateur hour here. Yeah. Well, hey, all I can say is this Motu interface way mm-hmm. better than what I had, even though it's the cheapest it's the interface. Cheap Motu. Well, how much was it? Two hundred bucks. Two hundred bucks. Yeah. yeah nothing. So that's their cheapest model. Cheapest Motu that's out there, the M2, and it is night and day different than the uh, pre Sonos model I was using that was one hundred and fifty. Yep. I mean, it it's night and day different. So yeah, you you're. Your volume level seems to be much better as well. Levels are good. Less <laughs> clipping. Uh, cleaner uh, cleaner sound as far yep. as any hum or anything else. It's got a decent amp in it. Gene has sold me on the Motu products. I tried to do some of the yep. others and they just didn't work. Well, it's, I, you know, you, you went much faster. I think it took just a few months to sell you on it. It took me about three and a half years to sell Adam on it. Yeah, I, 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 for the record, I would have the ultralight if I could. If it was available, yeah. Yes, but I'm not paying, you know, full retail <laughs> for a used one or double right. retail for a used one. I'm just not doing that. Yeah. Well, that's kind of how I feel about the the IWI. Yeah. Which like, about- I want to get it, and I have an order in for it, but I'm not paying double just to get it today. I was actually looking at the IWI nine millimeter today because I'm on the handgun. Yeah, yeah, I'm I'm looking. I'm not for, at all familiar with that model. Oh yeah, so I'm 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 looking at it. There's a few things about it that are interesting. I hate Glocks. I've never been a Glock fan. Mm-hmm. I, I want a I want a slide safety. Then I know oh. a lot of people will disagree with me on this. Yeah, I'm one of it's, those. It's just the way I've trained. I my thumb. So is that the Masada? Is that or yep, the Jericho yep, yep. or which one? Masada. You don't like um, the Jericho? That's got a thumb safety as well. Yeah, but it's not a polymer. It's oh, yeah. metal. It's so um, traditional. Anyway. Yep. Anyway, just looking at a few things. I like a thumb safety. It's the way I draw an index out of the holster. It's the mm-hmm. type of holster I use. So the type of holster I use requires you to, you know, it's a locked in holster. You have to index as you're pulling out the gun to hit the release to pull the gun out. And I have literally seen people with Glocks and similar holsters, their finger ends up in the trigger as they're drawing. Poorly trained. Yeah, yeah, fair enough. But it's just a safety thing. So if I am drawing from my holster, and my muscle memory is that I draw from my holster, and I'm let's say I'm shaky. Let's say I'm in a situation Wait, where this really matters. I'm looking at the gun. I don't see a safety on the side. Left-hand side. I don't still don't see it. It has an active safety option. I don't know the one you're looking at. If it, I think they they have several different options. But anyway. oh, they have 
models with and without external safety. They also have threaded barrels. They have ready for yeah, optic, not ready at. for that's optic. The, lots of different things. Get yeah. anything else? Anyway, it seems like an interesting possibility. Okay, cool. So, and well, it's only like four hundred bucks. With the uh, safety. I'm, I'm sorry. Say again. Send me a link to the photo of the one with the safety because I don't see it. Yeah. So if you go look at Palmetto State carries it, but uh, Big Daddy carries it. Literally on IWI's website, and I don't see it. Okay. Maybe the new model doesn't Is have this it. Some kind of aftermarket mod. No, no, no. The the literally the model I was looking at has a Slylock and a mechanical Can you copy safety. And paste that link. Sure. I'll even send you the Hickok 45 review where the he, okay. there has the they safety. Talk about safety. Yes. Yeah. What what is that guy famous for? I watched a few of his YouTube videos and he Dude, seems to be decent, but he's fucking grandpa. I, I love Hickok 45. I've been watching him for forever. Like okay. when I first went through and set up my reloading setup, yep. his reloading, like here are the decisions to make and things like that. Him and a family friend, Ben Dacey, who is now deceased, another dude named Ben, but they had such a huge influence on me. Man, I got to tell you some stories about Ben Dacey sometime. This is a guy who went over to Afghanistan in the 80s and the 90s and was moving some product, we'll just say. And some of the stories to come out of that were very interesting. Very interesting. Okay. Yeah, definitely. We'll have to have that on for the after hours show for the supporters only. <laughs> yeah, for, for the, the the fans only. <laughs> yeah, the fans only. Exactly. And uh, I, I, guess, sent, uh, I sent you that meme, you know, Amber Heard, the time is yes. now. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. I forwarded that. That was, that was, I, I think that's totally real. I, dude, uh, they would love it. She would be good at it. She'd be making the buku buck. She could actually pay Johnny back. She couldn't make all that money and give Johnny some money, which she <laughs> clearly doesn't want to do. But I was going to say, uh, Mac, oh. Military Arms Channel, is that uh-huh. for me? I've been watching that channel for probably 15 years. Yeah. Literally I, since they started. Yeah, I, I take issue with some of his stances, though. Um, I don't but, agree with him on a number of guns, but I still really like the guy. I would totally buy him coffee. Absolutely. And the, I... So again, I don't have to agree with someone all the time to enjoy their content. Oh I, yeah, I have enjoyed. You're a lot perfect of example for me, right there. Well, you're wrong too. a lot, but I still like you. Well, like his commentary on the new six eight or six eight by fifty one, the yep. GT seven Fury. I think he's totally wrong. We're talking about a gun that, in its design, is going to have less recoil impulse than an AR ten. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All I can say to anyone out there. If you can't handle that recoil impulse, you don't know what you're doing. Well, but what about our our under 120 pound elite soldiers out there that are female? I didn't know they existed. Oh, should I get rid of the word elite, or <laughs> which word <laughs> do I need to get rid of? Uh, I so, mean that that is a serious consideration. Like that, a, a woman shooting a 308 was going to become less accurate after just a couple of shots. Yeah, and and what I would say to all of this is in the situations where you would be using full auto, those should be far and few between. Never. 
Never is a good much. time to yeah. use fallout. I mean, suppressing fire, it, there are very, very, very few cases. Quite frankly, I don't even see the need for three-round burst. As someone who... Neither did Eugene Stoner. And how right was he? I'd say he probably knew pretty well until he was pushed into it. Yeah. What I would say is that you can... Semi-auto is really all you need. Yeah. As much fun as full auto fire can be, Quite frankly, if I'm going into a situation where I need my weapon, I can't carry enough ammo for a full auto exactly. gun. Exactly. Why we ought to be using the plastic rounds as well. But anyway, it's a cool round. What's the what's the funnest full auto you've shot? Oh man, Mac Ten. Okay, so just my... because of the design, open bolt, and just yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, it's that's just a cool gun in nine millimeter. Yeah. So I think my favorite was a full auto Tommy gun shooting twenty two caliber rounds. That that would be fun. Um, Five hundred rounds mm-hmm. in a drum, going at insanely fast rate of fire, and it was it was light enough recoil that you could easily control the recoil and you could actually draw a circle with it on the target. Have you ever looked at the American one eighty? So the American 180, uh, a family friend had, and it's a, it, it was designed in the 1960s and it was designed as a, the idea being to, and I'll drop a link to the wiki in the chat mm-hmm. it, and they're pretty damn rare because I don't think they ever went into full production mm. if memory serves, but it's a 22 automatic with the idea being, being able to put uh, literally 10, 20 rounds on target. Oh, yeah, that looks very similar to the time again. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That is a fun gun. Hmm. Less than 10,000 built. That's a small production run. Yeah, exactly. Oh, yeah, there you go. 1,500 rounds a minute. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's that's about the same as what I remember. Yeah, and it's literally in 22 long rifle. <laughs> I mean, hmm? it, the idea is for closing quarters combat and not using... The mass of the bullet, but multiple impacts. Yeah. 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 Lots of holes. Yes. Have you... So I've been watching a lot of videos because they keep coming up in recommendations for me on YouTube mm-hmm. about the new M5. Mm-hmm. That, yeah, that's what we were just talking about. Yeah. And so everyone's got an opinion. Everyone's uh-huh. going to take on it. Very few uh-huh. people actually have it uh-huh. to demonstrate it. Uh, look there's... at Grand Thumb's video. He did a good one. Yeah. Yeah, he's got a different issue though. His head's too small. <laughs> it just I can't I can't unsee it, man. His head does not fit his body. It, yeah. Yeah. It's he's just a small-headed dude. He's a big guy, but he's small-headed. But no, he's funny. I like him. There's but there's been a bunch of them and some of them are definitely more technically proficient and some of them are more from the hey, I used to be in the military for 5 years and I have an opinion. Yeah. And then there's plenty of, I've never been in the military and I hunt, and here's my opinion of this thing. Mm-hmm. But the thing that's interesting in one of the videos I watched, the guy said, this, you know, there are guns that shoot longer range. There are guns that shoot harder, more massive bullets. Mm-hmm. There are guns that shoot faster rounds, even though that one is quite fast. But the M5 seems to like get to the 75, 80th percentile ish. Across in the all board. categories. Yep. Across uh, actually, it was Backfire. I think that did the comparison. Okay. Yeah, I could. I don't couldn't remember the name of the channel, but probably we saw the same one. Mm-hmm. 
And it, I think that is right there to me, the biggest selling point that the army probably made the right decision. Well, and not only that, but <clears throat> at the 80,000 PSI range. And mm-hmm. what people have to realize is that the military grade rounds that they're talking about producing, uh, yeah, SIG 100, has 105,000 PSI yeah. rounds, yeah. which to give you a point of reference, that is literally 40% more energy than 5.56 is capable of producing, mm-hmm. regardless of projectile, regardless of anything else, just the PSI rating uh, for 5.56 is around 60. So what would be the, this would be an interesting question. What mm-hmm. would be the, the ballistics of the 5.56 round at 105,000 PSI? So, okay, so here here's the problem that you have. And I'm going to use an analogy here, and mm-hmm. I'm sure people will want to roast me on this and say that's not exactly how it works, but this is as close of an analogy as I've ever been able to come. Think about skipping a rock on a, on, on, on a pond. Mm-hmm. You don't go grab a pumice stone, the lightest rock you can grab, and mm-hmm. fling it as hard as you can, right? Mm-hmm. That doesn't work very well. What you do is you find the right stone for as hard as you, the right amount of throw that you're going to give it. That's about as good of an analogy to ballistic efficiency as I can give you. You can take a teeny projectile and accelerate it super, super fast, but it's going to get pushed around a lot. You're going to have lots of issues there. You can take a big, heavy projectile and not push it as fast, and you're going to have drop issues. So it's a balancing act is the entire point here of the analogy. Mm -hmm. So the 5.56, yep. Yeah, go ahead. I mean, if they took the same cartridge design and did a 5.56 by 51 with the steel casing and started putting, I mean, you could be talking 4,000 feet per second pretty easily Mm -hmm. for a 55-grain bullet. And is there, Uh, how does that speed difference translate into advantage or disadvantage and when the bullet leaves the muzzle okay so kinetic energy is one half mv squared so the when the mass doubling the mass doubles the kinetic energy doubling the velocity is the square of that so the point is doubling the velocity ends up with a lot greater kinetic energy here's the problem you're going to have One, inertia is a property of mass. So the less Mm -hmm. mass you have, the less inertia you have, which inertia can be easily defined in this circumstance as resistance to change in motion. So what that means is it's harder to accelerate a big object and it's harder to decelerate a big object than it is a small object. Mm -hmm. So while that 5.56 would be faster at the bore, it would be slower downrange and still only have the same mass also, but it would be faster than the current uh, 60,000 PSI. Absolutely. 100%. Uh, right. But then, well, then, then there's another issue, of course, which is friction with the atmosphere. Friction with the which, atmosphere, Coriolis effect in the barrel, yeah. and you also have the problem of just ballistic coefficiency, which is how much the yeah. wind is going to push it around. So yeah. a couple things on this gun. I think the military is moving back to a battle rifle style gun mm-hmm. and i'm okay with that because of the types of guns i like personally that said from you don't a own the 556 five, if i recall as correct the yeah. smallest caliber ar i have is the 68 spc mm-hmm. which that was because i have a bunch of 270 stuff laying around and it's something yeah. i can reload and you like the 270 if i remember yeah i love the 270 yeah yeah. So the the 277 Fury I will not be a purchaser of currently because I can't load it, I can't hand load it. The ammo's expensive, but that gun 
the, the mechanics of that gun in a 308 or, you know, really a 308 or even a 6.5 Grendel. If I had 6.5, I would go 6.5 Grendel in that gun all that day doesn't long. perform as well at 500 meters if you look at the charts. Compared to what? Compared to the 6.8. The 6.8 by 51? Correct. Yeah. But it's reloadable. And I can hand load it. I can't okay. do that with the 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 I know, the I know, six eight by fifty one yeah. with that bimetal case. You you can't reload it. You know and, that the the ball ammo doesn't come in the bimetal case. No, actually, the soft point ammo doesn't come in a ball me, uh, bimetal case, and it's operating at lower pressures. And at that point, why not just have a six five? Yep. Yeah. So the, yeah, I, I thought it was ball ammo. It's not ball ammo. No, it's the soft point. What the hell is the difference? The soft point has a lead soft point that deforms and creates a, the, the, well, let me put it this way. The soft point is banned by the Geneva Convention. Okay. So it's not a military round. Correct. It's a hunting round. I see. I see. Okay. Got it. Got it. That's a good explanation. Yeah. Because shape-wise, they're the same, right? More or less. I mean, the soft yeah. point's going to have a lead tip that's flat at the end. Yeah. The ball ammo is going to be a full metal jacket, copper jacket. That's, rounded. you know, you know, literally because on the, the high speed ammo is actually a, it's a ballistic tip. Actually, it doesn't matter. Any, well, the current one they're showing in photos, let's put does, it that way. Doesn't matter. The, 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 re, the, for ammo and pistol loaders will know this, you know, you can do lead slugs in pure lead slugs in a pistol because it's a lower enough velocity. Mm-hmm. If you try that with a rifle, it would literally spin apart. That's why we have copper jacketed ammo. Mm-hmm. That copper just keeps the spin rate and the centripetal force together. Yeah. Anyway, now that we've nerded out a little bit. Well, no, this is good. This is. I think people appreciate the fact that we're one of the shows that doesn't just talk about computer shit, but we talk about gun shit. Well, I, I, hey, I like both, man. They I, go hand in hand. Uh, you and you know, happen to have had a link to Leisure Suit Larry. Uh-huh. <laughs> uh-huh. I, after I heard you and Darren talking about that on Friday on Unrelenting, I was like, I bet you Gog has that. And we <laughs> we had talked about that last time we talked. Mm-hmm. And I found it. And sure enough, they did. So I sent it to you. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's, uh, that is good. Anyway, I think it's a cool gun. I do think that. Gas I also piston think, operated. Yeah, which I like. It's got a folding stock. Doesn't yep, have to have a the, fucking spring and buffer in the back. Yep, because the buffer is all internal. Yep. And the really coolest part of this gun, which I hope they make a civilian model that I don't have to register as an SBR, because I, I really do want one of these guns mm-hmm. in like a 308. One of the coolest parts of this gun, though, is the technology that's used in the suppressor. Mm-hmm. So it is a flow-through suppressor design, which is... Yeah, talk about that, and I'm going to pour myself a cup of tea. Okay, so the flow-through suppressor designs are historically have been crap at actually suppressing the report of a weapon. The advantage that the SIG has is that they're using modern manufacturing techniques of 3D printing to be able to change the baffle design in a way that they otherwise would not be able to do to not only prevent gas back in the operator's face, but to allow a greater reduction in the report of the rifle. And it, the the suppressor for this that's going to be issued with the rifle is pretty damn cool. The one choice I really question the military on on this entire rifle project is the optic. I don't know if Gene's back yet or not, though. 
since he's Gene's turning into Dvorak. I mean, Dvorak's got to let the dog no, no, no. out. I've Gene's been talking the whole time. Tea. I'm just on mute. That's all. <laughs> Dvorak, please. My chase lounge doesn't squeak unlike his. Yeah, I think the weakest part of this decision by the military is really the optic. Yeah, which I would totally want. I want that optic for my other guns, too. It is very cool. It is cool, but I hope they can deliver on the promises. Well, although and I'm not a Vortec hater, I mean, I, I let me say this: every first gen Vortec optic I they all suck. purchased, I have gotten rid of. I have two out of all the optics that I have. I have two Vortec optics. I have one on my uh, 308 bolt gun, and I have one on my SOCOM 16. Mm. I always just thought they suck in general, but whatever. I'm an the iBox. The iBox on the so I've got the PST. On my 308 bolt gun, the iBox sucks on that scope. If you have it adjusted right for you, it's tolerable and it's okay. And it's half the price of the comparable Leopold. So mm -hmm. there's that. But what I'd say, what I have on my 300 rum is a very different optic. Anyway, and then the other Vortex that I have is a one by six variable power scope that is on my SOCOM 16, which is a sub 500 yard gun. Mm -hmm. And th that optic I love. I actually, that, that it's a perfect application for that optic and that gun to me. So I, I need to find, okay, need may not be the right word here, given that I've problems. spent way too much money on toys lately. Huh. <clears throat> By the way, did they tell you about my watch? I told you about my watch that I got for myself for my birthday, right? Uh, no. Oh. So it is the tactics model from Garmin, mm, mm -hmm. which has a ballistic calculator in it. Yep, 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 yep. And the big square Bluetooth. one. And no, it's round. Huh. Big, big round wrist size looking thing. Okay, but, you'll have um, to send me the link. I will. I'll send you it. It. I got it mainly because I was getting sick of charging my Apple Watch every day, which is a stupid thing that they make you do. This watch goes for depending on what you're using on it anywhere from five days to 30 days and if you put it into watch only mode without all the wi-fi and bluetooth and shit it can go almost a year hmm. so i my my watches i have two that are my main watches i've got a casio pro trek that's mm -hmm. solar powered and you know it's got a compass and barometer and shit yep. like that go ahead I said, "Yep," I but I, 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 I never, I never charge it. It's just, yeah. it is, you know. It's just I can walk out into the woods that. and never have to worry about this watch again. Mm -hmm. And then I have the smartwatch version that's similar that I can get about two days out of, depending on my mm -hmm. GPS use. It's really a hiking watch and stuff like that. But who um, makes that? I'm sorry. Who makes that? Casio. Oh, it is a Casio. Oh, I haven't looked at their watches. I guess in sufficiently long enough to. The, I, I know they have this them. watch is two or three years old. It's nothing new and fancy. I probably looked at them in five. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, at the same time, you can yeah. download local maps. It has GPS oh, and GlossNOS, nice. you know, lots yeah, of yeah. fun functions. You know, that that is sufficient for me. Ballistic calculators, you know, the, what I'd say there is they are good for being a baseline to generate your own dope. Mm -hmm. But the, quite frankly, the ammo is so variable for store-bought ammo. And if you're doing Depends your own ammo, you're buying, remember, no, it doesn't. I, I'm sorry. Even match grade okay. ammo is very, 
the the ammo I produce versus match grade ammo is night and day difference on consistency. All right, I may be willing to sacrifice a box of my new plastic rounds for you to test. Okay, well, six bucks a round. Oh, Gene, that's touching. Well, they're they're supposed to be <laughs> the most accurate rounds you can buy right now. Like their consistency is exactly identical from round to round. Well, and with eliminating the variability in case weight, they could manufacture. They could have a manufacturing process where mm-hmm. the variability in case weight is is sufficiently accurate enough that they can be very accurate in what is actually in the round and kick out the rounds that are over or under. Mm-hmm. So, part of the problem in mass manufacturing of ammunition is that you know the word mass. <laughs> yes. Exactly. You know, the, the, was double entendre. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the case normal, just copper, you know, normal, just brass casing has sufficient enough variability. I mean, if you take an accurate scale and you weigh your cases, you can see 10 to 20 grain variability in mm-hmm. the cases. So as a manufacturing process is going through your primer weight, your case weight, your projectile weight, those all have to be very, very, very precise yeah. because the powder weight behind it has to be very, very, very precise. And when you have variability between case, primer, projectile, you you can't even begin to well, estimate. And the inside dimensions have to be identical. I mean, that's the other big portion. Dimensions are less of an impact as overall weight. And the reason why is because if you're trying to get, let's say you're trying to get a powder throw in there that is consistent within between two and five grains of each other. Mm -hmm. The other three components combined have to be less than that in variability. And they are inevitably not. And Mm -hmm. the casing being one of the biggest pieces of the puzzle here from mass standpoint, eliminating the variability there with plastics, because I think you can probably do that better than you can with metal is Mm -hmm. probably, you know, where they're gaining that, Plus, you Accuracy. can 3D print, 3D print them yourself. Yeah, and while you were you gone, what them. I was talking about was the 3D printing of the SIG suppressor. Mm. Well, I didn't realize that was 3D printed. That's very cool. Yeah, so the new M5 suppressor, the what's really cool about it is that it's a flow-through suppressor. And usually flow-through suppressors don't have that great of uh, dB reduction, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. but they end up with less gas back in your face. What's mm-hmm. really cool is that because of the baffle design that they would otherwise not be able to do except through the 3d printing process they've actually gotten a really cool balance there from all mm. accounts like significant dvd reduction in noise and no gas have back you, in your face but you part of that is also the gas piston system i'm sorry go ahead well no finish your thought i got a somewhat unrelated question that was the finishing of the oh, thought. Okay. The, the, Have you, the gas um, piston system and the flow-through suppressor combined is why you're not getting any gas back. Got it. Okay. Have you seen the the Tesla valve? So Zencaster wouldn't let me unmute there for a second. No, I have not. Oh, okay. So it's designed for a fluid valve that Tesla did that prevents backflow. Hmm. And it just by the shape of it, basically. Interesting. But so free-flowing in one direction and creates eddies and currents in the opposite direction. So, so it doesn't it's completely eliminate, but it prevents, you know. So it's, it's a, a fluid fl- diode. 
Yeah, it's it's Lammer going in one direction and completely, you know, full of eddies and currents in the opposite direction. Yeah, interesting. I just thought I was curious to see if anybody had made a, you know, baffles that were based on that design at all. I, w- I would have to look at the design, but not that I I'll know of. Link. So the flow-through design is really, it, I mean, quite frankly, you could almost call it a linear compensator, the way flow-through suppressors work. So what that means is you're targeting the report of the rifle versus suppressing the report of the rifle. And by the way, you can buy a linear compensator without the paperwork, just for the record. And it, it doesn't affect the the sound quality? So the report that the linear compensator reduces the amount of heard report that the operator would hear. So yeah, think think of it as a, like a shape charge. It's focusing right. that sound wave towards the target. Got it. And now, since the target's going to hear it after the bullet arrives, it doesn't exactly. matter. Yeah, that's a good point. Uh, yeah, uh, and <laughs> ooh, you know where now, I'm shooting you, you from. Just squeeze that into about roughly the diameter of the cone of the bullet. That'd be even better. Well, so the the problem you have there is like any accuracy in firearms, right? We'll say we'll, we'll measure an MOA since that's most popular, even though I'm partial to radians. But you know, you let's say you have a one MOA rifle. Great, you're shooting one inch circle at 100 yep. yards mm-hmm. well now at a thousand yards that's a 10 inch circle yeah without any wind without anything else right you are perfect conditions the best possible accuracy you're going to get out of that right get there so it adds a lot more complexity exactly yep. well when you start taking into account gravity uh coriolis uh wind you know it, which direction is your rifle twist rate? <laughs> anyway. Yeah. Well, so this week in guns. For, I'm sorry. That's what the watch is for. Again, for a base, for base data to start your dope card, sure. But I prefer just shooting the ammo and knowing it and writing down the dope card. Sure. Sure. I just think it's, it's cool. Even so, if I never use it, it's just cool having that in the watch. And it talks to a, Laser rangefinder. So, do you know why I like radians versus MOA? Why? So, radians, you take whatever unit of measurement you want to put it in. So, let's say yards, meters, feet, Mm -hmm. whatever. And you do some multiplication and division, and you come out with the right answer, regardless of the unit of measurement you were in. Whatever unit of measurement you're in, that output is going to be the same. You can't say that about MOA. Yep. Well, radians, I I, I kind of agree. You know, I'm not a math and science nerd or anything, but I do agree that it it seems more logical to me. It's like, I don't know. It, it One is just historically based on the number sets that we've inherited from past civilizations, and the other one just makes more logical sense. So science and guns are the only places that I've ever accepted the metric system into my life fully. <laughs> That's funny. Well, of course, right. I was born with the metric system and then had to learn the imperial. The imperial yeah. So, it, it, I mean, it's it's funny because I'm, I'm exactly the opposite. You know, I was born into the imperial system and 
when it came down to learning how to shoot. And when I say learning how to shoot, my, my first exposure to guns was at five years old. My dad started taking me dove hunting with him and I had a pop gun that he had made me and it wasn't a toy. I wasn't allowed to play with it. It was only when we went hunting and I had to treat it like a real gun. If that quirk was in the end of the barrel, I had to treat it like a loaded gun. Mm-hmm. And I had to unload it before we went inside, and I, you know, everything. Trigger That's a great dis- way to learn the process. It is about being dangerous, exactly. And okay, son, this is your gun. This is how you treat it. That's the way he taught me. So I, I, I mean, I learned pretty early on shotguns. Hey, son, and, this is your rifle. This is your gun. <laughs> yeah, there are many like it, but this one is mine. Mm-hmm. Anyway, the the treatment was such that. You know, my my first rifle was a twenty two long rifle that my grandpa got me. Mm-hmm. And it was, you know, I, I would walk up and down the slough picking off snakes. And I know this hurts Eugene, but I, shit, man, I would empty boxes of ammo at copperheads and water moccasins. Were there that many water moccasins around? I thought they were pretty reclusive. Oh, shit. You talk about the sloughs in southeast Texas. Are you kidding me? Hmm. And water moccasins, they mate, right? So mm-hmm. what, what you have with water moccasins is you'll, A, smell them before you see them. Right, and, right, right. And during the spring, where there's one, there's two. Mm-hmm. I, mean, well, just, I just like the way they absolutely. float on the water. Oh, God, they're a like nasty little, creature. little moving turds. Yeah, they are a nasty creature. That, there's nothing redeeming about a water moccasin in my eyes, but that's <laughs> because I grew up in Southeast Texas. Uh-huh. <laughs> well, no, they control the rat population. I mean, that alone should be redeeming. I don't know. You go spend out, spend enough time in the marsh of of Southeast Texas. I I mean, I I don't think you understand the amount of population of water moccasins and copperheads that exist. But that means there's a lot of rats getting killed. It does. And it's not just when you, when you talk about rats, it's not just about your little normal house rat. The nutria population is a whole thing. Yeah. This is where I think the pythons would do well. Yeah. So people who don't understand a nutria rat, is you know 30 pounds that's like a possum sized rat yeah it's bigger than that you think nutria, it's bigger than possum really nutria can get pretty damn big hmm. part of the way my dad actually paid for his college education was trapping nutria oh, which wow. nutria is used as a, a substitute for mink fur so anyway re- regardless they're so pretty, I, pretty nasty uh horrible animal horrible animal destructive absolutely yeah. destructive yeah possums are way better well they as the only north american marsupial yeah well i, I just love their defense mechanism play dead yep <laughs> and yeah. also musk to smell like you're not just dead but you've been dead for a while yeah did i ever tell you about my dad's buddy sid who i i grew up hunting on his land and Mm-mm. So my dad's buddy Sid had this, this, what's the other animal that musks as a defense skunk. There you go. Skunks, yeah. I, I, I don't know why that escaped me. So he had this skunk that he had descended as a pet mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and he was dating this girl and the skunk liked to sleep behind the toilet mm-hmm. and he mm-hmm. took her over to his place and she went to use the bathroom and she was sitting on the toilet and all of a sudden this cat-like object comes out rubbing against mm-hmm. her and everything else and she looks down and it's a skunk <laughs> and she ran out of that toilet with her pants still around her ankles and just you know freaking out 
and uh, it was descended and everything else. And mm-hmm. anyway, it's just been a story that's been laughed about forever. That's funny. I, I I don't think I've ever touched a skunk. Hmm. I've seen plenty of them, but I've never actually come close enough to pet one. Well, I wouldn't pet one that wasn't descended. I don't mind the smell. I get get sprayed, and then we'll talk. That that well, fair enough. But that smell—I've been around plenty of skunk smell, but that smell reminds me of German toys. Yeah, it's from our captain from the seventies. Yeah, so the skunk smell, paper mill smell, tire mm-hmm. factory smell are all uh, mercaptain chains. Same chemical? Yep, yep, yep. Same, same, same carbon chain. It just depends on how many carbons in the chain mm-hmm. on how stinky it is. But it's a mercaptain, yeah. Hmm, interesting. So I was right then that this is the same smell because that's what the memory is from. It's like... Yeah, from I the plastic, playing I'm sure, yeah. German, yeah, German, like... Uh, model railroad trains and things and they all smelled just like that yeah depending on the plastic manufacturing process it would be the same literally the same chemical depending on the number of carbons on Mm -hmm. the chemical chain interesting and the more carbons the stinkier the mercaptain so how many carbons do the skunks use oh hell i don't know i'd have to google that (laughs) let me google that for you gene cool stuff what else is going on the only other thing I really even broached to talk about would be this. You know, people are comparing what Biden is proposing to the former assault weapons ban. Uh, the biggest difference that I want to call out for everyone that I personally see is the former assault weapons ban said, okay, we're going to ban manufacturing. We're going to change these things. Da, 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 da. Okay, fine. But right now they're, they're pushing for a national registry. Yeah. And I, you know, I, I see lots of memes online. I see lots of people sitting there saying, well, I lost them in a boating accident. Mm. That is the, I, I'm going to couch what I say here. Cause I don't want to, uh, I don't want to have an Alex Jones moment of being calling for violence or anything like that. And I don't want to fall into the trap that some liberals did on the NRA mm-hmm. stuff. But what I would say is, if you're hiding your weapons, why do you have them? And that's really my last thought for today is if you are unwilling to use your weapons in a moment of crisis, if you don't see a need, if you're willing to, oh, I have my precious and I'll hide it. No, I lost it. I don't know why you want me to register it. I lost it or I sold it or I did this or I did that. Yeah. Why do you have it? Yeah. Yeah, well, and I think the honest answer is most people have it for recreational purposes. Most people have it because most people are LARPing. Yeah, but that's what recreational purposes is. Role play is recreational. Yeah, fully agree. Okay, so LARP all you want, but you're going to take it to the range. Live action role play is what that means if you don't know what LARPing is. (laughs) I mean, you you take it to the range. What are you going to do? Oh, look at this cool gun that I have. Ha, ha, ha. Uh, is yeah. that registered? I mean, all you're doing is keeping it at that point. So yeah, no, what I would I, say, I, I understand what your what your point is, and I don't disagree at all. But I also, practically speaking, know that most people who have guns, like like you know, like from the circle of people I know, most of them 
fall in the category of there's nothing wrong with guns and I enjoy my hobby. That's it. That's fine. Then register your guns. But those people who will sit there and say, I lost them in a boating accident. I fail to see the logic in that. I've never understood the boating accident part at all, ever. Oh, I lost them. I don't have them anymore. I mean, what, how, the the odds of a gun being on a boat to begin with? It's a joke. It's an absurdity. It is absurdity. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I don't get, I mean, by saying that, you might as well say, I hid it somewhere. Go look for it. Yeah, I mean, well, <laughs> or I sold it or whatever you want to say. At least selling it is more feasible, you know. Yeah, yeah. And I've done and, that. Like I've sold a shit ton of weapons. Well, and and for those who don't know in the state of Texas with which both Gene and I reside in, if I want to sell Gene a gun, there is no requirement for me to give a background check or anything. Now, if I know Gene to be a felon and I sell him a gun, that is That's a crime. A problem. Yeah. But let's say I know Gene and I don't think he's a felon and I sell him a uh-huh. gun. It's the same as selling him a lawnmower or a toaster. Yeah. Right. No receipt required. Still. Yeah, absolutely. And people who want to close the background check loophole, as it were, and close that off, that's stupid. So some of the proposed legislation would, if we're at the range together and we're shooting, I say, hey, man, this is a cool gun. Why don't you try and shoot it? I think you'll like it. Mm-hmm. And I hand it to you. Some of the proposed legislation would make that a crime because yep. that would be a transfer of a weapon from my possession to yours. Right. And without a background check and paperwork. Transfer of ownership and they're using possession in there. But, and that's the thing is the, the f- definition of possession versus ownership. Mm-hmm. It also, some of the proposed legislation would make a lot of the trusts for NFA items illegal. Yep. So that that's actually a bigger deal. It impacts a smaller minority of the population. But if you have a trust for an NFA suppressor or short-barreled rifle or anything like that, the transfer of possession, the fact that they're using the word possession versus ownership is... The- yeah, no, that's... I really am hoping that people have learned a lesson and remember how stupid and crazy the ban was in the nineties. And that all it really did was raise the price of guns and the, feature set. And it did not at all positively or negatively affect the amount of gun violence can, out there because those people that commit gun violent crimes do not pay attention to what the laws say. And this has always been the main argument in my eyes is if you make laws that are targeted specifically at addressing criminals, then you're just forcing the other 99.999% to bend over backwards for something that the intended people will never comply with. So the biggest effect of the, the 90s assault weapons ban was the rise of the thumbhole stock. I don't know if you remember that, but my mom to this day still has an Egyptian Maddie that has the thumb hole stock in it. So it's not technically a pistol grip, right? but it's the exact same hold and effect yeah. of a pistol grip. Yeah, well, it's it's kind of like the, the, the current very popular way of getting shorter barrels. Yeah, with the shooting brace. Is, is shooting brace versus a stock. A pistol with a brace, yeah. Yep. Which, I mean... Honestly, I'm somewhat shocked at how long that's been going on and no well, one's managed to. The fact it. that the ATF says, yes, it's a shooting brace and shouldering it does not matter. So literally you're using it as a stock. 
What if you have short arms? Well, the the whole uh, repeal the NFA, repeal the Mm -hmm. NFA, abolish the ATF. I want to own my goddamn cannon. I have a cannon. Yeah, actually. So my my grandfather was an artillery officer. We can end on this. My grandfather was an artillery officer in Korea, and he was fascinated by artillery of the past. So he had out of... uh, bronze made a miniature of one of his favorite artillery pieces Mm. and anyway i've inherited it over the years and it's fully functional so yeah i have a cannon that was very cool i wonder if adam had donated his machine gun yet i didn't know he had one yeah he had a his that that uncle that was in Mm. uh, Mm -hmm. world Mm -hmm. war ii I don't know if it's maybe it wasn't grand uncle. I don't know. Maybe not. I don't know. Anyway, a relative, a male relative of his that was in, I think, Iwo Jima and a few other conflicts during World War II. He had a Japanese machine gun. And that ended up getting passed on to Adam. And then when Adam and I went to the Museum of the War of the Pacific, I know he talked to the museum about donating it to them. So from that same grandpa, I have a Japanese Arasaka that he had recalibered, rechambered into a 303 Enfield. Mm. And the corresponding bayonet. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The lot, lots of cool stuff, man. Um, yeah. And the, so I know you want to end on this, but you kind of right. opened up a topic here. So, <laughs> as far as conquest souvenirs, uh-huh. let me ask you this before I tell you my opinion. Okay. Is there anything wrong with having conquest souvenirs, including souvenirs from Germany in World War II? I don't think so. No, I mean, so I don't either. I think that that like I think me, it's a normal part of warfare. Yeah. So to me, like if you have a collection of German medals or swastika on a a knife or a luger. That, or Luger, right? But I mean, what's the difference? Things that have swastikas on them and German symbology. Well, I see the... nothing at all wrong with that because these are natural souvenirs. They're war trophies. They're, yes, they're and... the things that all my relatives would have post World War II as a memory of the people, the other relatives that died during World War II. Well, what I would say there is that the swastika is not a German symbol in any way, shape, or form. It's a lot older than that. So well, let's not blame the symbol. But, it is, but they flipped it around to point the other direction. Yeah, yeah. Okay, whatever. Cool. I, let's say I have a signed copy of Mein Kampf by Hitler. Oh, that'd be worth a couple of bucks. Oh, yeah. Well, and regardless, does that make me a Nazi or does that make me the <laughs> owner of a very valuable piece of history? Being a straight what? white male makes you a Nazi. So oh, I think we can yeah. stop there. I like how you assume I'm straight, Gene. Hmm. <laughs> well, true enough, but anyone as long who knows as you're me, as I'm about was, as straight we all know as, how straight he was. Come, yeah. Anyway, <laughs> it doesn't matter. I'm sorry. It's just a joke. Oh, um, I'm sorry. Did I assume your gender too? Yeah, you did. You did. Yeah. <laughs> God damn it! I'm a lesbian, non-white female in a straight white male body. Yeah. I mean, uh, yeah. Uh, I mean, if you can be transgender, why can't you be transracial? Well, that's a thing. I, I just don't think the people of the other races particularly like it. I mean, look, in the end, most of us are actually. 
And I, I hate the word race should not apply to the color of your skin. Well, because we're all yeah. the same genetic human race. Like a chimp is of a different race. A chimp is of a different species. Yeah. Well, but species race. So just from a biology standpoint, the difference would be, can you breed and produce viable offspring? Exactly. And you can't do that with a chimp. I'm pretty sure people have tried. That's why we got AIDS. Yeah, the Russians tried pretty hard. Breeding with chimps? Yeah. Yeah. During the 50s, there was an entire Russian program on trying to develop a super soldier, right? Yeah, I think that's called American propaganda. Ah, okay. Mm. Super soldier made of chimps. (laughs) Right. But... The if you're going to use the term race to identify Asians, uh, blacks, whites, whatever, then there are very few people that have just a a mono DNA that live in the U.S. Almost none. There are people in different countries that can certainly have that, like you know, a bunch of Norwegians pre the migrant population of Norway. It is very very likely you will find. 95 plus percent of the same kind of genetics there. But I did my uh, DNA analysis many years ago now using both 23andMe and whatever the other company was. Uh, so the CIA has your records. Oh, dude, they've had my records since the 70s. I so don't care about that stuff. I'm not incognito. Everybody knows exactly who I am. So what was interesting, though, that I found out was that I had roughly 1% Pacific Islander. Nobody in my family tree acknowledges anybody being from that part of the world. So I'm very curious about that. And ever since, I've legitimately, because of the DNA profile, have adopted my heritage as as a Pacific Islander. Yeah. So the, whenever you start to do DNA analysis, you start to get into an interesting rise in statistical variation of non-paternal events. Huh? In statistical bullshitability? Well, you you have these non-paternal events that have Mm -hmm. apparently happened throughout history. Apparently, a lot of our ancestors were cucks and didn't know it. (laughs) Yeah, that's true. I'm I'm dead serious. Maybe maybe they didn't know it. Possibly. By the way, I sent you a, a Wikipedia article on the Humanzy experiments that the USSR conducted as early as the 1920s. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah. No, you got to <laughs> believe everything in Wikipedia. That's <laughs> Not at all, man, but I thought it was funny. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Look up moon landing on Wikipedia while we're <laughs> Yeah. Oh, let's well. look up uh, World Trade Center on Wikipedia, too. WTC7. I actually, right. so I had, I had an interesting encounter with a glowy. Probably the glowiest person I've ever met. Mm. And by the way, I've had some very direct talks with former directors at the NSA. So mm-hmm. the the guy who married my parents was a former CIA officer who, during Iran-Contra, was involved in, let's say, just flights. So when I say this person was pretty damn glowy, they're glowy. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it, it was an interesting, it's been an interesting week, Gene. Okay, that's all you're going to say on that? Well, so we're we're at a bar, and uh, this person works for the same company I do. And um, it, just looking at the background and LinkedIn and everything, just shit's not adding up. You know, it's it 
just one of those things. This is something yeah, running that, the background and fingerprint analysis in this guy. I got a just a hankering that this guy's up to no good. So Go you ahead. run into these people that are extremely cognizant of what they're doing. Extreme, always very controlled and tight mm. in various ways, very cognizant of what they're doing. They have a funky background. I mean, this is how you play spot the spook. The word purposeful. Exactly. Very deliberate. Deliberate mm-hmm. on absolutely everything. Anyway, so we're sitting there talking, and the subject of Russia actually came up during this conversation. Mm-hmm. I said, you know, you can't buy into half of the cyber shit that's attributed to Russia. Well, why not? Well, one, attribution is fucking impossible if you know anything about cybersecurity. And then two, even if you trust implicitly the agencies that are handing you information, how can you say that they are being, one, you can't say that they're being accurate. And two, why would you trust them when we've been lied to all along? Mm-hmm. You know, and this, that, and the, anyway, WTC7 came up and, oh, well, that's just conspiracy theory. No, no, it's a building that fell that wasn't impacted by a plane. And it's the only it's the only skyscraper to ever fall just from fire. So, mm-hmm. no, that, that that's not a conspiracy theory. Something happened there. A and conspiracy, not a fire in the downstairs floors. Yeah, yeah. A conspiracy theory would be saying that the Pentagon was struck by a missile. Mm-hmm. But I have some pretty good evidence for that, too, if you want to talk through it. Anyway. Just this person's agenda on pushing, especially on some recent developments, AKI, Pipe Dream, and saying Russia, Russia, Russia. Man, I, I, I just don't see it. Okay, there's some really characters in the code. Whoop de fucking do. Have you heard of WikiLeaks Vault 7? <laughs> you know, and in fact, that got brought up, and then that got into the conversation of Snowden and Assange and whether or not they're hero or villain. Exactly. And, you know, going back and forth with this person, I don't know, just certain timings, and we'll talk about it offline a little bit more, but you cannot trust your government. I don't care what government you have, whether it's absolutely benign or not. You cannot trust your government. Mm-hmm. because And the old adage that power corrupts is absolutely true. Yeah, it's it reduces the cost of your decisions. And to take Stalin at his word, one man's death is a tragedy. A million's a million man death is a statistic. And that's the order of operations of government is you mm-hmm. remove it from the personal into the statistical. Yep. That's absolutely right. And it's uh, that's why also I've been a a big fan of or saying this for many, many years, that the the best court system, the best police that we will ever have are going to be not people, but machines. I, well, I, I will disagree with you there because I think the best court system that we can have the best is a grand jury versus a prosecutor. I think it's impaneling a grand jury, going through some things, dissembling it, reassembling it with a different group of people over and over again so that it's not a profession, but the average man judging the average man. Yeah. And when I say man here, I'm using proper English and not knowing the sex and assuming the masculine. Yeah, I well, I don't disagree with you, but I just think that if laws are intended to be obeyed, 
then relying on humanity to interpret things is a flaw. Well, so do you think laws are intended to be obeyed? Oh, that's a separate question. But it's it's appropriate. I think laws to ought to be well. And here's the thing: if we had a, a legal system driven by machinery, by computer, essentially, the laws would apply equally to rich mm. people, poor people, and politicians. I guess I'd say there's nobody to bribe or coerce or push or sway because it's logical rules that are making determinations. Yeah, I'd say differently. I would say that if a law is sufficiently violated, it probably shouldn't be a law. I agree with that. I totally agree with that. A perfect example would be like marijuana restrictions. Actually, any if we would have had the death penalty for marijuana, we wouldn't have the marijuana problem we have today. I don't think we have a marijuana problem today. Okay, so you're not going to take that bait. Okay, fine. <laughs> God damn it. Uh, yeah, that's if you're going to bother spending the effort to pass a law. Yeah. I don't like laws being passed just to be speaking points for politicians to use in their next campaign. If it's going to be a law, then it ought to be applied. And if it's a bad law, kind of like we had with prohibition, then people ought to say that it's a bad law, push back, and change it, even if it's part of the Constitution now because of the amendment. Yeah, so what, what ended up happening in Prohibition and what's happening today in the war on drugs, while somewhat analogous, one of the things you have to realize is that Prohibition did not, did not make a criminal out of the consumer. So if you it was only the manufacture and distribution of alcohol that was illegal during prohibition. So if yeah. you had alcohol and you were drinking it, you were fine. And that's where they realized that this isn't sufficient enough and decided for future yes, morality that, crimes you need to punish the consumer as well. And that's what they have absolutely done during yeah. the war on drugs. The war on drugs is the war on American people. The war on drugs is the war against the sovereign individual. It's saying you do not have the ability to make decisions on your own, and who are you to decide what you put in your own body? Yep. And so this is actually, we might have even mentioned it, or maybe I brought it up on Unrelenting, but one of the analogies that I thought was very good about U.S. interference in Ukraine that's happening right now with providing weaponry, providing satellite imagery, is what exactly is there to stop either China or Russia from selling weapons and satellite imagery data to the Mexican drug cartels? Well, because they're clearly trying to fight against the American government, which, as America says, Russia's our enemy, so... Clearly, Russia ought to be helping enemies of the United States, right? Well, and and for those who don't really realize it, Mexico is a failed state. Mexico Mm -hmm. is a narco state at this point. The Mexican government has no ability to control the cartels. The cartels do have the ability to control the Mexican government. Frankly, either. Well, they're bribed not to. The cartels are purely in control of Mexico at this point. In fact, I think the only reason why we got any cooperation out of Mexico during the Trump era was because of the cartels being somewhat strategic. Yeah, they're not stupid. Well, uh, yeah. So my my point there is that they saw that Trump was willing to militarize the border, willing to do things. Well, we don't want him to go that far. So we'll 
act like it on our side. We'll stop the flow of illegal immigrants, but we'll be strategic about the flow of drug, well, drugs and people, but not just people coming to look for work, but you know, the sex trade uh, mm-hmm. being a big part of it. So I think they prioritize their top money earners is what I'm saying here. Yeah. I think they're acting rationally. Let's, I yes. think we can agree on that. They they have violent means, but they have rational thought. Yeah. So to answer your question, what would stop Russia or China from doing that? Absolutely nothing. In yeah. fact, I, w- I would say that China is impacting the U.S. border situation through the production of fentanyl. Mm-hmm. Yep. So while they're not necessarily giving money or arms to the Mexican drug cartels, the fentanyl that they're giving them is just as lethal. Yeah, they're providing supplies. That's exactly right. And I mean, and that's the thing. It's like right now we're discussing the the FBI and other agencies anti-Mexican cartel operations as as though these cartels were, you know, like individual little crime gangs, but I think you're absolutely right. Cartels right now is what holds Mexico together. It's the the bribes in the system. It's the politicians they put in place. The cartels really are Mexico right now. Yeah, I I, I think that the only the only caveats to that are the tourist areas. But I think that's of mutual agreement. You know, I I, I think that the the entire U.S. border, anything within a hundred miles of the U.S. border. Call, call the entire swath there is completely controlled by the cartels. Mm-hmm. There is not a police officer that is not bought and paid for in that section of Mexico that the cartels don't own. And you, the reason why is because if someone refused, they'd be dead. Yeah. Did you Very watch shortly. Sicario? I'm sorry? Did you watch the movie Sicario? No. So there's two of them. The original one, um, uh, Came out a few years back, and then the, the last one just came out recently, maybe last year. They have Venetia del Toro in them. Very good. And they're basically about this topic that we're discussing, which is the drug trade, the FBI war against it, and the the cartels basically controlling everybody. Well, uh, all I can say is if you look at operations like Fast and Furious... And the way mm-hmm. the U.S. tried to handle that and, oh, we're going to track this, that, and the other bullshit on what you're doing. But let's just take the Department of Justice at its word on what their intended consequences for Fast and Furious were and what they were trying to do. Yeah, I hate to tell you this, but there are more guns coming into America than are going from America into Mexico. Well, they're manufactured a lot of them in America first. Yeah, but my my point is that the entire idea of Fast and Furious is well, we were going to track the guns yeah, going to the cartel. It bullshit that nobody so, ever intended to really do. Yeah, that was basically just buying favors from one cartel to fight another cartel. And this is also another. Well, this is in the movie TV show, but Ozark, mm, I think Ozark is another, great. Have you watched it or not? I have watched some of it. I have not watched the latest seasons. I've watched the first couple of seasons. It is really good. It's probably Jason Bateman's best work, but also really the first non-comedy he's done. But 
just as a synopsis for people that haven't seen it, it's a, a very typical upper white middle class family in, in Chicago and the show starts. And then in the first episode, you find out that the dad, who's a very mild mannered accountant, was actually an accountant for a uh, laundering money for certain illegal elements. For the cartel. Well, eventually, yeah. I mean, they didn't find that out until later. Yeah. But basically, he he takes the family on a bit of a run because not only was he laundering money for the, well, what ends up being the cartel, but he was also delivering off a percentage of that for himself. And so his business partner at the time was taking an even bigger percentage and his business partner in the first episode ends up dead. Yeah. And he, yeah, he convinces the cartel to spare his life because he can do this great money laundering operations in the Ozarks. Yeah. And, and then he basically, the location is this sort of almost, uh, you know, a, a 1960s picturesque white trash kind of lake setting. Well, let me rephrase. South, south western Missouri and northeastern Arkansas is the location. <laughs> yeah, like yeah, yeah, yeah. And it is very pretty down there. I've spent time down there as well. Gorgeous part of the country. Arkansas really is a is. beautiful state. Yep. Unfortunately, the Clintons are from there. <laughs> yes. Well, Hillary isn't, though, is she? I thought she was from the East Coast. Well, I mean, I'm just saying Bill, governor of Arkansas, yeah, yeah. the ties to, yeah, you yeah, know, yeah. they're, they're, Mina, Arkansas, and some of the drug stuff that was going on there, and then you had the Tyson chicken mm-hmm. stuff. I mean, there's just lots of shifts. There's a lot of stuff, and that, uh, and you know, Arkansas. Well, and really, Southern Missouri had a lot of mob activities that people think of the mob as being in New Jersey, but there's a lot of mob in the meat business. Well, and, you know, a lot of when when you have the term Arkansas as a as a thing i think that it's kind of says it all does all it's totally yeah, random sure sure what else could it be i mean could completely be totally else. random yet totally linked to the same group of people over and over and over again mm-hmm. uh, what bad luck failed. what horrible luck those people that became billionaires must have mhm you know i mean it's like on the one hand you get to be a billionaire on the other hand everybody you know is dead that's bad bad luck right there uh, we're talking about the Clintons, in case anyone's wondering. <laughs> but it's a good show. It's it's a cool setting. Julia Garner's in it, who's one of my absolutely favorite actresses. I love her in everything she's been in. She always plays a very interesting character. Her Marie, most recent role was in like a five-part series about Anna, Anna something. I can't remember her last name. But basically this fake Russian heiress. Anna Karenina. No. No? Different Anna. Okay. That's the only Anna Russian heiress that comes to my mind. This is a modern, like, it's it's, it's based on a real true story. I can't remember. I think it was on Amazon or something. I don't have Netflix, Hmm. so it must have been on Amazon. But Jennifer Garner, if you look up her IMDb, she's got uh, literally everything she's been in, I've really enjoyed, and she's done a great part in. And she, she is one of the main characters in Ozark. And plays one of the hillbillies. Or, yeah. well, I can't, you can't call them hillbillies. They're certainly white trash. Plays one of the trailer living residents that are native to that community. Yeah. 
So you're talking about the curly-haired blonde. Yeah. That, yeah. She, Man, she's she's very sharp in that show. She plays kind of the idiot savant, if you will. Yeah. Speaking well, she's of, she plays someone who's clearly got a high IQ, but brought mm-hmm. up with very little school. Yes, exactly. Exactly. So speaking of television, mm-hmm. so I haven't watched The Orville yet, but that's on oh, the list. That's great. You'll love it. I think I will like season three, but Star Trek Strange New Worlds, man. Talk about bringing it back. You, you, torrent it. I'm waiting. Do I don't, I just don't want to pay 10 bucks for one TV show every month. I want to well, wait till all the wait. episodes are done. Then I'll pay for a month and watch all of them. Well, watch all of them and then also watch Lower Decks. But the, so you remember the Gorn from the original series? Mm hmm. So the big lizard that Kirk fights. So they've taken the Gorn, which mm-hmm. was just a monster of the week, and made it into the great new enemy of the Federation. They've done a fantastic really? job. Okay. Yes. Are they it, green? You don't... It, it, I haven't watched this last oh, week's latest okay. episode, but in the introduction, you never actually see them. Oh, okay. It's just their ships, and it's building up this mythic of, you know, lots of people have seen Gorn, very few have survived to tell the tale, that sort mm-hmm. of thing. And anyway... Uh, Strange New Worlds, good show. Definitely some fuckery with canon as far as timelines and, uh-huh. you know, having medical transporters and some things like that. But whatever. It, 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 I think at this point we're as far enough, we're far enough divorced from the 1960s to take some of these liberties. And I'm not mad about the liberties they're taking. So there's that. But yeah, they, that, yeah that's the Spock good. guy kind of grew on me too because I at first mm-hmm. I didn't mm-hmm. think he looked anything like him, but he sounds just like him. He, he, uh, so again, yeah, he's not Leonard Nimoy. He is not a Leonard Nimoy body double or stand in, nope. but he is playing the character the way Leonard Nimoy did. Mm-hmm. He is being true to that character. And by the way, we got spoiler alert, some background into Spock's marriage that, you know, comes out yeah. in TOS and Ponfar and all that. Mm-hmm. We, we got a little bit more background in there and I'm really liking it, man. The biggest gripe I actually have is on the intro talking about the Enterprise's five-year mission. Um, mm-hmm. That was under the command of Kirk, not Pike. And you've got mm-hmm. some timeline problems with that. But I'm probably one of a few thousand people in the country that noticed something like that and much less would gripe about it. Oh, you'd be surprised. Have you gone to a convention? I have gone to many conventions. Uh, of there. which do you personally speak? <laughs> well, the last time I was at a convention with with what's his face, Captain Kirk, mm. the questions from the audience. Oh yeah, like what fifty years after the show was on, are still about details from the show. Oh yeah, uh, for those who haven't seen it, go watch Galaxy Quest. Oh yeah, Galaxy Quest is awesome. That's that's part of the canon too. I think. Oh yeah, it's it's absolutely mocking the culture, but yes, yeah. And that was there's there's a YouTube video if you have seen Galaxy Quest and you enjoyed it. There's a YouTube video that I think is called "Whatever Happened to Galaxy Quest," and it's like an hour long documentary that has a ton of background scenes. It has talks about uh, with the actors and characters talks about the history like how difficult it was to make and how it was promoted completely wrong. It was promoted mm-hmm. as a, you know, a kids movie, which it clearly was not. And a lot of the the adult scenes had to be removed from it uh, when it was released. Like with Sigourney Weaver, and it was clearly an adult movie. But 
they there were plans fairly quickly of turning it into a TV series and all that fell through. I mean, there's a lot of stuff that didn't happen. Mm-hmm. But if you enjoyed the movie, then I would definitely recommend the uh, YouTube documentary about it. I'll, I'll have to look at that because I definitely did enjoy the movie. Yeah, I saw that in the theater. Yeah, I, you were. I don't you born think I yet? did. <laughs> yes, I was born. Yeah, I know. So, book recommendation. We haven't yeah. done book recommendation. So, yeah. I just started reading a fantastic fiction series um, called Red Rising, and it's all about oppression, classism, and you know, it's set in a sci-fi environment, but it's my god is it good and it, it it's really like pitting non-fiction. i'm sorry sounds like non-fiction well it's happening on mars and there are genetic differences between the classes and shit like that so mm-hmm. some of them have 12 fingers you know the basic human is the oppressed person it's all mm-hmm. the augments that are the leaders and now it sounds li- like gadiga it is in very many ways so you have the golds the golds are the top of society and they're these gods of genetic perfection and then you have Mm -hmm. the basic human that's the red that's the underground miner and producing for everyone Mm -hmm. i mean you could take it back to hg wells and you know the molochs versus whatever i forget the novel yep same sort of concept but writ large and told in a very good way and the opening scenes of the book are about this hell diver this miner and He's a human and he's very capable and he's all this, that, and the other. And he's 16 and married. And, you know, the, the relationship between him and his wife, and she's pushing him to be more of a rebel. And, you know, it's very Braveheart esque. And yeah, she dies. We'll do that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, she dies in the first four chapters of the book mm-hmm. and pushes him on to bigger and better things. But, uh, very well written novel. And I'm, I, I'll probably finish the first novel tonight. And the series I'm looking forward to. I mean, it, it impressed me enough in the first five, six chapters that that I ended hmm. up purchasing. Sounds the rest a little bit like altered service. carbon too. Altered carbon, yeah. I, I've got. I, I haven't read the books. I've only seen the the series, hmm. and I've just got some execution issues with the series. The 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 series compared to the I've read the books, but the uh, mm-hmm. series is. Very PG rated compared to the books. Well, have you ever read much like Peter F. Hamilton? So you would like Hamilton a lot. You know, the whatever star series, the the continuum series that he has. I think I have eight more credits available in Audible. Oh, get some Hamilton. I'm looking for you to fill those for me. (laughs) Yeah, get some Hamilton. Yes, Peter F. Hamilton, a lot of his books. The Commonwealth series is where I would start with him. Uh, I think it's Pandora Star or something like that is the first book. You've got this concept of, you know, you've got Neural Link, essentially, before Neural Link was a thing, and Avatars Pandora and Fire. I'm buying it live as we're recording this show. It's like 40 hours long on Audible, but it's a, it's a it good book. It is 37 book. hours, 21 minutes. There you go. Yeah, very not PG, by the way. So this okay. is not a book to get for your kids. No. Nothing on this podcast is for no, your kids. No, no, Well, and you know, I was talking to someone about that the other day. You know, I read Ayn Rand and Heinlein at like 12 and 14. Mm-hmm. Hmm. <laughs> no impact here. <laughs> uh, I think that's about the right age. Honestly, Man, I think fourteen I, I, is about right for those well, because at twelve, some of some of this, I, like I read, I read the Fountainhead at twelve. Yeah, see that to me seems like 
for most people, that would be a little too young. Yeah. Because some of the concepts, you have to understand the bigger picture of. But by 14, 15, you're developed enough independence and self... What's the, the, the word I'm thinking of? Aware. But yeah, self-awareness. That you are distinct from your parents, from your friends, from everybody else. That you are somebody that is different in the entire universe from everybody else. I think when you're, you know, even at like 11, 12, I, I think for a lot of people, you still haven't developed that yet. Yeah. It's just going back and rereading things as an adult and comparing my memories of how certain scenes impacted me to how they impacted me as an adult. It, 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 I think is pretty drastic. I did that with Atlas Shrugged Mm -hmm. and I just found the, the, writing to be way worse reading it as an adult well so the problem with rand in everything except anthem anthem is the only exception to this is she says the same argument 20 times throughout the book yep anthem is a novella Mm -hmm. so she kept it short it's succinct it's great well atlas shrugged and Fountainhead and We the Living, We the Living has issues of it was her first English le- language novel and she didn't speak very good English. But beyond that, yeah. So let me let me share a little bit of the depth of influence here mm-hmm. where I read Atlas Shrugged when I was in high school. I recently had received as a gift although a gift is a loose term for it, a spaceship in Mm. in a game called Star Citizen. Mm. And the gift that you receive is a gift that you get for, quote, donating, unquote, funds to continue development of the game. Mm. So you technically, you're not buying the ship, but Mm -hmm. you get the ship when you've spent money. So for people that play this game, you will know what a gold 600 on I is in the game. Not, not I as in like on your head, but I as in the letter I, 600 I. Mm-hmm. It is the, the top tier donator prize. And uh, So it's Gene being the big baller of Star Citizen. Gotcha. That's exactly what it is. <laughs> yes. And I'm, I'm very hesitant to even mention the amount of money. So I won't. But you can look it up yourself. I, I, I'm I'm going to ask after the podcast. Yeah, you you could ask. And the this ship, along with other expensive ships in the game, even though this is a quote unquote free ship, can be named. And the name is a unique name, which means no other ships in the game can have the same name. And the name of this most unique, the ship you will see the absolute least of. I haven't seen another one in a year. In the game. It doesn't mean they don't exist. It just means I haven't seen them. Is Anne Rand. Interesting. Yeah. And then my... The the largest ship you can currently fly in the game, which is a pleasure yacht mm-hmm. that I have, is called John Galt. Well, that was a circuitous path. But what I would say is that I've always identified far more with Rourke and Reardon. Mm-hmm. You know. I'm not the hero of the story by any stretch. <laughs> yeah. Well, and I, I've been, I think, affinity-wise, probably closer to the pirate 
Ragnar Dagskill. Ragnar, yeah. 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 But yeah. I also kind of appreciate Midas and what he's done. Uh-huh, uh-huh. It, 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 so I think if you can stomach the repetitiveness, the overall story and the point of the story of yeah. both Fountainhead and later in Atlas Shrugged yep. is a good one. I think objectivism is a good philosophy in lots of ways. Yeah, which uh, incidentally, she wrote lots and lots of nonfiction books about objectivism. Absolutely. You'd like you don't need to base it based on her fiction books. It's just no. the fiction books demonstrate that philosophy. Yes. So in her essays, she she is a much better essayist than she yes. is an author. Okay. I will absolutely. She's up there with Paglia, actually, in lots of ways. Yeah. Yeah. Camille's good. I've been following her since the 90s. Yeah, Camille is a well thought out person. She's hard to listen to if you hear her speak. She just rambles. Because of how, well, and how fast she talks. She's she's up there with Ben Shapiro and just talking like this as fast, fast as she can. Because I listen to oh. everything at twice speed. That's my normal intake. Okay. Well, but I don't um, want to sound like a chipmunk. So, but she is a character. You yeah. don't sound like it. Doesn't affect the pitch. It just affects the speed. <laughs> okay. But it is hard listening to Ben Shapiro at twice the speed. Yeah. Well, that's because he's talking six times yeah. as fast. I, I, as I, I don't know if you were listening being. to uh, No Agenda back then, but for a while there was a number of episodes where Adam. Kept mm-hmm. poking fun at the fact that, well, and really People acting very pissed off yes. at the fact that I dare listen to the show at, at high speed. I don't think he specifically called out you, but he was saying certain listeners or something like yeah, that. It yeah, it was me. Well, <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I mean, I've been listening to No Agenda since, I I want to say, within the first 200 episodes. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So this was maybe a couple years back. But yeah, it was, I think it was because I was, I was at, at his house and then I, I pulled up the show or something cause I wanted to play a clip that was funny and my default speed was like 1.75 X mm-hmm. and he was like, what the hell? <laughs> what the hell are you doing? It's like, yeah, well, you know, if I wanted to listen to that speed, I would have recorded it at that speed. I mean, okay. But it, at the same time, whatever your listening preferences are. At, right. As someone who's producing the content of this, which whether it's listened to or not is irrelevant to me. It's me and Gene having a good conversation. However you want to listen to this conversation, I don't care personally. Yeah, no, that's true. But there is a suggestion in every single episode of this show that says listen to 1.25x. Yeah, okay. Because well, when I started recording this, mm-hmm. I was doing the acceleration and software for people. Mm. So it was everything was run through 1.25x. And why? And do then that? that was really like Adam was really miffed about me even doing that for my own show. I was like, "Why are you doing that? Don't do that. Let people decide." Yeah, it, well, and, what and I, what I would say is that you know I'm not the audiophile that you and Adam are by any stretch of the imagination. That's not where I put my. Oh, we're just opinionated. We're not audiophiles. Okay. We have opinions. They happen to be right, but that's where it stops. Yeah, I'm going to compare this to Gene and John being foamers, just of different sorts. Mm-hmm. I'm going to kid. I'm going to continue with you being the buzzkill. This one, <laughs> I, I'm okay with that. I like John. John has been very helpful at many times. He's always got a wine recommendation ready for me. He's. Uh, I I have followed Dvorak for a long, long time. So actually, I actually have a a signed photo of 
Kate Batello and Leo Laporte from the screensaver days. Mm-hmm. I was, nice. yeah, I was, I, I, I was on one of the episodes way, way back in the day as a kid. Really? You were one of those nerd kids? I was, I was. Hmm. Yeah. What am I saying? You're still a nerd kid. I take no, that's cool. Yeah. I, I remember I used to read, read John's articles when I was a teenager. Oh yeah. PC Mag. Yeah. I, I, in fact, when my parents moved back Mac to user. Texas from Idaho, they got rid of my PC Mag collection, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's like I was saying on Unrelenting, I got rid of my Playboy collection. Yeah. You got rid of a couple grand worth of books there. It sounds like. Oh, I got rid of, well, I, I don't, I can't even put a value in them. I, I was almost at the point where I'd have to pay somebody t- to get rid of them. But as far as how much I paid to get them, yeah, probably an average of ten bucks a book, and I got rid of thousands of books. Yeah, I, I like my books. Yeah, I just hope somebody like because I just you know left cases of these things at the bookshop. I I hope somebody read them and didn't just burn them for firewood. <laughs> well, I, I think in American society, very few people would actually burn bound books you know burning and marketing material or shove, like you know they cut your gas off what are you gonna oh, do well fair enough personally i'm gonna run to the hills of east texas and you know and then burn books gotcha no not not necessarily burn books but gasification is part of the plan <laughs> and mm-hmm. several other things yeah i'm curious to see what adam ends up building yeah, I, I I asked you offline. That's Adam Curry, yeah. no agenda podcast. Yeah. Anyone curious who's not a listener of that show that listens to us, which is nobody. I, yeah, exactly. There is no one who listens to us that doesn't <laughs> listen. To no I don't know, agenda. man. We're growing at about a very steady five percent per episode. That is that is that's good, man. I mean, if we can keep that up, then great. And ten years from now, you know, just think we'll have ten thousand listeners. Yeah, if that. So what I would say, though, is that feedback, feedback, feedback. I I tried to get it done by this time, but I had a flight to catch and then delays, which, by the way, the whole pilot shortage thing, reality on my way back. Oh, man, my flight was delayed by two and a half hours. My last leg of my flight and the the guy at the 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 gate said, well, you know, it's a weather delay. I said, Mm -hmm. yeah. Right. This plane literally flies between this city and the city and back and forth. Yeah. Bullshit. Well, but you know why they say weather? Because then they don't have any liability. Yeah. Liability yeah, yeah. for it. Yeah. Well, and anyway, they ended up redirecting another plane. It, it was a whole big thing and got in several hours later than I was expecting. But yeah, it, it was, it was fun for sure. Somebody else I just talked to recently that, had a flight back to Austin that got canceled and he was, Oh, this is my buddy, Peter. So that got canceled. And then he was coming back from California and they rebooked him for a flight a day later Mm. and he had stuff to do. And so he was like, well, this is, you know, he was on the phone with the travel agents or whoever does the booking and his wife was looking stuff up. And then as he's walking by, and this is him telling me this story. He's walking by and he overhears a guy getting like heading over to a flight to San Antonio that was going to be leaving soon. Mm-hmm. So he's like, let's go find out. So he, he walks over to that kiosk, same airline, and says, hey, I just got bumped from this flight to Austin. They can't fly me out till tomorrow. 
are you guys full? Can you still stick me on standby or whatever? And they're like, oh, yeah, flight's not full. So he got on a flight like half an hour later. Then he would have had the canceled Austin flight. But their automatic reaction was just to rebook everybody for the first available Austin. Yeah. Well, so so I had a layover in Dallas because I was flying in and out of College Station, which only flies to Dallas. Yeah. And, you know, the the bump in the flight was sufficient enough that I said, well, fuck it. I'll just drive. I'll get there at the same time. And that's if that flight doesn't move I from the bump. I thought about that before as well. Yeah. Yeah. No cars. That's Literally, true. No cars. So I checked every yes. rental agency at DFW Airport. Yep. No one had one-way cars available at yep. all. Yep. You know, you could take a two-way a round-trip car and just drop it off here as well. I mean, they it'll charge you. They'll charge you, but it may if you have to do it, you can still do it. I've done that before. Yeah, yeah. They definitely will charge you a fee About for that. About 50 bucks but, a day. Yeah. Extra on top of normal rent. Anyway, but there there were no cars, no cars yeah. available. Uh, there was a little bit of weather coming into DFW, but nationally there wasn't. And anyway, the long story short is you have Delta, you have KLM, you have lots of these airlines announcing that they're canceling mm-hmm. legs of trip proactively. Fact of the matter is we have a pilot shortage. We have an equipment shortage. American just announced that they're- Fuel shortage. American just announced that they're grounding over 100 planes. Yep. Because well, they don't have enough pilots. United said that the same thing. 100, 100 flights are down. I'm not talking about flights. I'm talking about planes. Oh, right, right, right. American yeah. is grounding over 100 planes. Mm-hmm. That's not flights. That's planes. That's, you know, however many flights a day on average. It's insane. That's a good point. Yeah, because each plane probably does three, four flights a day. Yep. So, yeah. I mean, it's tremendous. The the lack of this, and this goes back to earlier comments in the show about hyperinflation and where Mm -hmm. we are heading. The picture does not look good that's being painted for us. And and not only that, flight costs. So, you know, you traveled a lot for work. I'm traveling a -hmm. decent amount. You know, I'm I'm around quite a bit, and. Average cost of a plane ticket right now, pretty much anywhere in the nation for me, is you know five seven hundred bucks. Trump era, it would have been three to five hundred. Mm-hmm. So flight costs in two years have approximately doubled. Yeah. Now we're still way down from where they used to be. Well, it depends how far back you go. <laughs> My lifetime. So yeah. I mean, flights in the early nineties were really peak charges that I can personally remember it was, I mean, 700 Europe, bu- they weren't, they were super cheap. Well, 700 bucks for a domestic flight would be considered, you know, well, on par in the 1990s ish. Don't know where the hell you were flying to. I was flying from back then from like Chicago to New York and in coach, that was about 500 bucks. Well, that's Chicago to New York. I'm talking anywhere in Texas to Washington, D.C., for example. Okay. So yeah, from Houston to D.C. Yeah. was around a $700 ticket. But here's the difference. And back then, planes would fly on schedules, not based mm. on occupancy. Yes. And so the average flight that I did from Chicago to New York was about a third full. 
you you always had a role to yourself if you were in coach, and you had two seats to yourself if you were in first. Well, and the legroom availability was drastically different. Yeah, yeah. No, they've they've definitely scrunched planes more like sardines. That's for sure. I would say the peak of my airline experience was in the late nineties, and what late I mean 90s by was peak, Continental. Yeah, it was so Continental. I was, was mostly flying on Continental and uh, KLM. You and Europe. everybody else. And then what's the airline to Asia? That was oh, South okay. Korea. No, no, no. It was uh, Cathay Pacific. Hmm. Cathay had the, the best service I've ever had. So, so starting, yeah, I was probably, I think I started flying first class in 97. And I've pretty much been, just been flying first class since then. Hmm. So I still fly a lot of coach, especially now that, you know, I no longer have really any status left with anybody. That said, I'll tell you the worst flight experience I ever had. And it was with American. Mm. And this was in the early, early 2000s. I was still in college. Mm. And I was flying back home. My parents were living in Idaho still. And we were supposed to land in Spokane, Washington. Mm-hmm. Well, Spokane was fogged in and they didn't have the appropriate landing equipment. So they yeah. diverted us originally to Las Vegas. Well, I'm 17 at the time and there's dick you can do on your own at 17 in Las Vegas. So that sucked. Yeah. You got to go to a good old prompt to do that. Yeah. So anyway, what ended up happening is we spent t- over 24 hours in Las Vegas. They couldn't rebook us. So they moved us to Seattle we landed at SeaTac, which SeaTac is one of the worst airports in the nation, <laughs> especially then, in my opinion. It's and grown a lot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Anyway, th- well, grown in a very awkward way. Well, anyway. the little the, the fast trains they got really make it better now than they used to. It used to be it would take you a half hour to walk across the damn airport. Well, and the first iterations of trains that they had in the underground and everything else yeah. was just tedious. Anyway, yeah. so they fly us into SeaTac. And then bus us to Spokane. Ooh. Because they could not land in Spokane because of these days where the fog mm-hmm. and everything else. Anyway, it was just. This was before radar was invented, apparently. Yeah, apparently. Anyway, it was just one of the worst experiences I've ever had with a airline. And so in, in, in Texas, our two main airports, DFW and Intercontinental, are United and American Hubs, respectively. Yep. And. Man, any chance I get to fly United, I'll take United over American, but mm. I miss Continental. Oh, yeah. Continental is great. I, I, that's why I started flying back in the 90s. It was a very good airline. Flew a lot of, was it Northwest Airlines? Mm-hmm. They were a partner. KLM, they were a partner. Flew a lot of them. And uh, speaking of worst experiences, oh, mine was very recent, last year. Mm. And it was an American. But it, it was... I mean, they certainly take some of the blame, but not. I, I don't want to pile it on too bad for them, but they definitely had part of the blame here. And the, the the summary of the experience was: it took me five days to get from Austin, Texas, to Seattle, Washington. Yeah. So th- this last trip on American, I was supposed to. I was actually scheduled to leave Tulsa at like six o'clock at night and mm-hmm. not get back till almost eleven o'clock. 
Well, that yeah. last leg, I I, sh- I fly out on Monday. I'm supposed to fly back on Friday. I fly out Monday. By the time I land, my last leg of my flight Friday has already been canceled, and I've got to reschedule mm-hmm. the whole damn thing. Luckily, ended up getting done early at the client, and it ended up not being a big deal. Mm-hmm. But immediately, that last flight of the day into College Station was already canceled. Had to yeah. remove stuff around, and then th- this ends up late and everything else. And just you know, pain in the ass after pain in the ass. And not only that, they're pushing the flight capacities so much. Oh yeah. So on my flight to Tulsa, I had a uh, $200 offer to, you know, change my plans Yep. on the way back. I had a $600 offer, almost mm-hmm. the cost of the ticket to change my plans. I've, I've seen them calling for more than the price of a ticket. I've seen them doing a thousand bucks. I have too, but I mean, these are, I'm, I'm flying. Uh, so I'm flying the planes I'm on right now that we're talking about for this trip are little, little commuter jet from college station to Dallas, yep. Dallas to Tulsa, Tulsa. Are they flying back. Embraer's or what are they flying? The, the one into college station is the, I forget what. Uh, yeah. It was a bigger plane from Tulsa to Dallas, mm-hmm. but regardless, I mean, we're, we're, we're talking something that, should never rise to this occasion. Okay. Typically in previous flight experience, you might get something on a busy, busy week between big major cities, right? Every flight is overbooked right now. And that's my point. But the fact that you're overbooking these commuters, which are where pilots are starting, which is where you have the most entry level people, the most availability of pilots, and you're this stretched thin. That's scary. So I don't know what they currently make. I have not, Known anybody that was there. song knew, and a dance. I, I knew a guy in the mid nineties, probably like ninety five ish, that went into IT after being a pilot for a few years and working in one of these commuter things. His salary as a pilot was seventeen thousand dollars a year in ninety four, mm-hmm. ninety five. So that's probably like that would be the equivalent of sixty thousand right now. Well. I just Googled that for you. And according to ZipRecruiter, a regional, uh, regional airline pilot average annual salary is 66000 a year. There you go. There you which go. Which is, you know. Not enough to live on. No. Well, I mean, it's it depends on what you're well, doing. Well, if you're a bachelor, you could live on that for sure. Yeah. I mean, but it's the same sort of thing that other than getting a pilot's license and the high skill that that takes, I can yeah. go get a Cisco CCNA. And, That's exactly what he did. And, you know, make a easily equivalent yeah. of that. Yeah, it went from 17,000 to making 50,000. Yeah. Or like 120,000 these days. I, yeah. That's totally true, but just to finish up my story on, on my crappy flight and then we can wrap up like mm-hmm. a good hour after you said we should wrap up. It was... Wife and kids went to the out, pool anyway at grandma's house, so... There, there you go. Yeah. So la- last year I was flying out because my mom had a stroke and then mm. she's in the hospital and so I'm like, yep, yeah, I'll get the first flight. So I went out, bought a ticket right away on the first flight, got to the airport. And that was the weekend. It was a, it was the few days before the 4th of July weekend. So it was like on a Thursday or something. And got there, everything's fine, got on the plane. And then we sat on the tarmac for a good 45 minutes mm. because they had weather issues. And then after 45 minutes, they pulled back to the gate and they said, we're going to try again in an hour. So if you guys need to use the restroom, go buy some snacks, do whatever. And then we got back in the plane an hour later. 
And we so they actually the had gate. y'all deplane. We had us deplane. Wow. And then wait. And after coming back in an hour, we planed up again. And after about half an hour sitting at the gate, they said, yeah, we're canceling the flight. You guys are rebooked for tomorrow. I, I was I like, mean, well, that sucks, but okay, whatever, weather, right? But the so fact next that they morning, had y'all deplane, that's unusual. I would prefer them to do that. I, I hate sitting in a plane for an hour and a half. I I don't disagree, but I'm just saying yeah. for them to actually have you deplane and not cancel the flight is very unusual. It is unusual. I agree. Definitely. So next day, didn't even get to the airport. I got a text on my phone saying flight's been canceled. You've been automatically booked for the next day. Now we're on the third day. So I get to the airport early, get on the flight. So this flight, the only available flight that I could get rebooked on, went to Seattle via Chicago. Oh which my god! Is not a straight line. No, and it's and, a complete dog dog leg. And any connection in O'Hare is subject to right. fuckery immediately. But it was either that or wait until Sunday of the Fourth of July weekend to fly. So I'm like, fine. It'll take twice as long. It's normally a five hour flight from. Austin to Seattle, it'll take 10 hours, but whatever. So get on the flight, flight sitting at the gate. We're waiting on a passenger to show up. Passenger shows up, then there's some weather that's coming through. We're waiting for that. Finally left, we're leaving an hour later, but we're leaving. Which, by the way, they no longer extend that courtesy, like, at all. Yeah, exactly. So we're, we're flying out to Chicago, and I'm checking. I'm like, man, this is going to be close. I'm going to have, like, 15 minutes between when we land Instead of an hour and 15, I'm going to have 15 mm, mm, to get to the flight. So I'm like, and, God, I hope they, they let them notify. I, I talked to the stewardess. She's like, oh, yeah, we, we sent a list of all the people, you know, they're in this flight that have connections. They're connecting flights, letting them know when we're coming in. I land in Chicago. I'm rushing like a madman. Luckily, the gate's only 10 gates away. So it's not oh, that that's far. that's good. Yeah. So I'm, I'm getting there. It is like five minutes before that flight's supposed to be leaving. I'm like, okay, thank God I made it. I'll get up to the gate and the door's closed. Mm. I'm like, we just landed. They were going to let you know we're coming in late, but it's still before the flight leaves. And it's like, oh yeah, that flight, it looks like they decided to leave five minutes ago. I'm like, what do you mean? It's like, well, they close the door. Once the door's closed, you can't reopen it. That flight has officially left five minutes ago. I'm looking out the window. The plane's still sitting there. I'm like, it's still sitting there. It's like, yes, the plane is there, but as far as the flight is concerned, that flight has already left. Well, I, I wasn't going to win this argument because mm-hmm. my wife, my ex-wife, had actually gone to the point of getting kicked off a flight like that before mm-hmm. when I was outside trying to get on the flight that the door was closed on and she was already on the flight because I was running late. And, and they said, well, if you don't want to be on this flight without your husband, would you like us to remove you? Mm-hmm. And she said, well, if you're going to remove me and open the door, why don't you just let him in? At which point then it removed her and then both <laughs> of us had to take the next flight. And this is how Jean got on the original no-fly list. Uh, yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> so, and that was a crazy flight too, because I've had a few crazy flights. But anyway, this one, so I get to Chicago. Now I'm stuck in Chicago overnight. Well, at least so you I'm, can go I see Darren. Talk to the airline. I'm like, okay, so what are you going to give me a voucher? What are you paying for here? They're like, oh, yeah, no, we got you here on time. So unfortunately, we, we're not going to pay for anything. And you missed your flight. Yeah. And I missed my flight. 
So I had to pay out of my own pocket to then fly out finally on the literally fifth day after the original flight that I bought for full price. It was a $1,500 ticket that I bought. Finally got me to Seattle five days later. And this my is... dad was not a happy camper because he's like, he thought I was being a dick for not flying sooner. I'm like, yeah. look, if I would have known it would take five days, I would have driven. Yeah. And and this is flying first class too, right? Yeah. I for, mean, this is not a coach full price ticket. First class ticket. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. The, the, the airline industry has definitely had some hiccups recently. 9-11 is when it started. My uh, best flight experiences were in the late 90s. When, when you were in first class, you well, had a three-course meal in first class back then. Well, not only that, but you could walk your friends and loved ones to their yes. gate. And yeah, you literally I mean, meet I, people at the gate. Yeah, I, I remember my grandparents flying in or us doing something and meeting them at the gate yep. and everything else. And, you know, yeah, Dude, I mean, it's t- totally different. I always carried knives with me when I flew. Oh, always. yeah. Always. That was a standard thing. Well, I, I I have flown in recent memory and forgotten stuff in my backpack and TSA not picked it out. Which, yep. by the way, I don't know if you do this or not, but I refuse to be on TSA pre or global entry because I, I just refuse. And I'm the guy who I ask for my free massage every time. Uh-huh. Yeah. I Yeah, no, I did global entry. I don't mind all that shit because I'm in every list anyway already. So I don't really yeah. don't care. But... Um, but I forgot to renew it just because I don't fly enough. I used to fly every other week. Now I fly three times a year. Right right now for work, I'm flying probably three or four times a month. Remind me, and I will tell the story next time. So okay. this is going to be a spoiler for next time, but I'll tell the story of flying A, without identification, and then B, taking the free massage while on a certain medication for the fun of it. All right, there you go. I just sent you a reminder. Cool. <laughs> Yeah. You know, asking somebody to remind you is like giving them I, So I'm just giving no, it right no, back. No, I understand, man. I'm just trying to <laughs> spoil it. I bet we forget to even tell it. But we, that's well, sad. you know, if we get a donation the, that says it's a reminder, we probably yeah. won't forget. The sto- the the fact of the matter is I've got some entertaining stories about flying that yeah. Getting through TSA without an ID is possible, but man is it not worth it. Mm. Yes. That's I've done that once. And, uh, but I, but I've also like back when I was in college, I also got into bars by just showing a business card. Well, yeah. So I actually had, I told this story earlier this week. So here in college station, we have a very famous bar called the Dixie chicken. And hmm. it's, it's one of A&M's famous college bars. And I had known a bunch of people there. And in Texas, when you turn midnight, when you turn 21, you can go get a beer. So it's midnight on my 21st birthday, and I walk up to the bartender at the Dixie Chicken, and I say, hey, man, what time is it? He goes, oh, it's 12.01. I said, great, fantastic. Why don't you get me a beer? Mm-hmm. And he pours me a beer. And I said, dude, you're not even going to ID me? Mm-hmm. He goes, no, you're in here all the time. Well, ID me, man. <laughs> so he did, and I handed him my ID, and all I got was, you son of a... <laughs> I had been drinking there for about three years, but this mm-hmm. is back in the day. So I, I was in Aggie Bonfire and everything else. So it was really what group you came in, you know, who got ID yeah. and who didn't. And you, you start going to a bar regularly enough for long enough, and you've just always been there, and the bartenders get lazy, you know? Yeah, yeah. Well, they know that you're not going to go crazy anyway. Yeah, yeah, I mean, you've they they know you well enough that it's not going to be a problem yeah. either way. But yeah, 
I think the last time I got ID'd was just a couple of years ago. Oh shit, man. And um, I had to, I, I just told the girl, I'm like, oh, thank you so much. This just makes, brings a smile to my face. I'm standing there with a, a white beard. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's like, Looking I'm pretty somewhat sure like I'm Gandalf, over 21. But shorter. Huh? You look like Gandalf, but shorter. <laughs> Fuck you. <laughs> Gan- Gandalf was a disproportionately wrong height. He should have actually been my height. But you got to remember how short the actual, what do you call those guys? The Hobbits. The little, yeah, Hobbits were. Mm. They weren't like five feet like they were in the movie. Mm-hmm. The little little small little guys. Yeah. Anyway, I'm just messing with Eugene. I'm just. It was more a reference to your beard. No, I know. Well, you, and my beard is beautiful, big, off, manly so beard. It's it's what happens when a man doesn't actually put a knife to his face. Yeah. No, that is not what happens when a man doesn't put a knife to his face. Because I tried for many throughout COVID, and I can grow a goatee. I, I've got you know some facial hair, but the sides of my cheeks, I look like yeah. a chemo patient. Thank well, you. Well, I would just say try harder. Yes, I or, will or focus say, my effort on making the hair say, grow. Video games get good. Uh, Anytime someone starts complaining about something, G I T G U D. Yeah. So on the next episode of Unrelenting, I expect to see Leisure Shoot. Yeah, we'll see about that. Mm. I'll see. I'll 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 try it. I'll see what it looks like. But I mean, uh, it's ten bucks. So hey, no promises. Wait, I gotta pay ten bucks? Yeah. Oh well, fuck that. <laughs> I thought it was free. I thought you sent me something that was going to give me the game for free. No, no, no. It's oh, it's well, GOG. It's GOG. Well, so it's someone it's, wants to donate, but <laughs> I'll play it. But I ain't doing it for free. It's nine ninety nine. Yeah, yeah. I got plenty of games to be played here. Yeah, nine ninety nine. Who the hell has time to waste money on video games in the first place? Not I. All right. And I think we better wrap it up before we go yeah, another hour. We yeah, exactly, man. We're at we're at uh we're at two hours and forty minutes. This is yeah, a long So one like for an us. hour and a half ago you said, Hey, I think we're about ready to wrap it up. Well, I mean, we've been trying to keep it between an hour and a half and two hours. So we're, we're yeah. not we're not doing great on that. No, we're yeah. not. All right, guys. Hopefully you enjoyed this episode. We certainly enjoyed making it as was evident by our fun conversation. Mm-hmm. And uh, we'll be back in about a week. And as always, thanks for joining me. Please do keep in mind that nothing in this podcast represents financial, legal, or medical advice. 